0: Digital Gonzo episode 106 dated Thursday the 25th of October 2012 Firefly part 2 Welcome back to The Good Ship Digital Gonzo with me, your captain, Alex Shaw. Tonight we continue the discussion on the shiny goodness that was, is and will be Firefly. A story that was started ten years ago this year and that many people, including me, believe we will see on our screens again in some form. For this episode, we're covering the second half of the TV series comprising the following seven episodes. Out of Gas, Aerial, War Stories, Trash, The Message, Heart of Gold, and Objects in Space. Next week, we'll talk Serenity and how it wrapped up the verse for the time being. Again, we're going into full spoiler territory today, so only listen if you have seen all these episodes, or you don't mind knowing what happens next. We won't, however, be spoiling the movie. Our six big damn heroes return from the all-new Dorkcast, tall, homely, sadly dull-witted, but convincing as a soldier, Lieutenant Leah Haydu.
1: Well, at least I got upgraded. From the
0: all-new Dorkcast, shy, delicate flower, champion of enforced morality, and a wizard in the kitchen, Sharon Shaw.
2: I suppose some of that may possibly be true. From Dorkcast and
0: Dorktunes, macho, mustachioed, ball-juggling lummox, Mr. Matt Ramsey. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> from Kane and Rince, clumsy head brain but sensitive genius, mouth Dr. Josh Garrity.
4: Please don't punch me in the face this time, Alex. It really hurts.
0: And from Gameburst, Burst, oak-aged, strongbow-swilling, founder of the Stacy Sutton fan club, Gary Blower.
5: I object to strong bugs.
0: Well, not the rest of it, it? <laughs> This week, we are now focusing on the troubled production, and we can actually talk about all of the mistakes made along the way, despite the desperate attempts of the assembled cast and crew to keep this thing afloat. I sent you guys the air dates uh, a couple of days ago, and uh, this may be news to some people, but old news to others. I'm just going to reel off the order that these were aired in, from the 20th of September, 2002. The train job. That's the replacement pilot that they had to put together over a weekend. Bushwhacked, that's episode three. Uh, Our Mrs. Reynolds, Janestown, out of gas. Shindig, which should have come way earlier. Safe, again, should have come way earlier. Aerial, war stories, objects in space, and then to cap it all off, Serenity, the pilot, parts 1 and 2, both aired on the 20th of December 2002. So that's 2, 3, 6, 7, 8, 4, 5, 9, 10, 14, and finally 1. The school where these guys learned to count must have been the first casualty of the Unification War. Three episodes, Heart of Gold, Trash, and the Message were never aired because by the time they got to the Message, Fox had already cancelled it.
5: Is this just in the U.S. or is this the, what they did this on Sci-Fi as well? I,
0: I believe it's the U.S. When they put them out again, I believe they put out all of the episodes in the correct order. Right. But uh, it was the damage was already done at this point. And uh, it took a long time for the actual DVD to come out as well, and people there may not even have been a DVD. Oh, I'll go into that in a bit. But looking at that, I'm a a on paper. I can't see why that decision was made. Whose decision that was? It, it, it beggars belief. It boggles the mind.
4: It's like they were sending it out to die, almost. Mm. It's so strange. It's certainly not
0: giving it any any chance of a run up, any any way of being seen.
2: I think there is... I mean, I'm a bit of a conspiracy theorist anyway, but I think there's too much to suggest that they were trying to bury this. Hmm. This, this, The kind of cock-ups they made... Can I say cock-ups on a clean show? I think you probably can. The kind of cock-ups that they made with this show. Nobody's that incompetent and still gets away with running an entire media conglomerate, surely.
5: I think there's quite a few examples of where the pilot is shown much later. Mm. I remember the, uh, show my age here, but the original Knight Rider, you know, the one with the Hoff (laughs) the pilot to Knight Rider was shown after they'd shown the actual TV series, I remember that because it was probably because of its length
0: well, the double bind is that the pilot is usually a
5: fairly,
0: usually pilots are fairly weak and they needed several episodes to get into their stride. But they are also key for establishing. Yeah, character. they did the
5: same with Twin Peaks. Actually, thinking about it, over in this country, they yeah. they didn't show the Twin Peaks pilot. Um, that was, and in fact, that was sold separately for many years because it was held How? by a different licensee.
3: How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> well, why do the they pilot? That that... There's no point anyone being... that doesn't make. You
0: can't. Doesn't it make
5: it.
3: sense anyway. Well, the, actually,
5: the pilot <laughs> didn't really give you anything other than show you the murder scene. So they, they the pilot was made as a, as a complete, almost like a complete movie. And then when they did the when they started making the TV series, they actually almost went back to the, to scratch, and all they kept from the original pilot was the fact that Laura Palmer was dead. So they they ditched a lot of the stuff that had gone on in the pilot anyway. But then they showed the pilot at the end of the first season.
0: Um, I think with TV going digital and the mass proliferation of availability, uh, it's it's a lot more simple for them to get a straightforward running order and plan it out over several weeks rather than just go. oh, I'll just chuck that out there.
5: Yeah. Although it's fairly recent, isn't it? What, we talk, what year we're talking about here is what, 2002. Yes, yeah, it's not that long ago. And, and the order it's that sure you, you read, it's pre widescreen. They originally shot it in
0: widescreen, and had to crop it down to pan and scan.
5: I mean it's the weird thing is it's not just like one or two things out of order is it it's it's virtually completely out of sequence
2: 2 3 6 7 8 4 5 9 10 14 1
5: weird I don't know which
2: in a show which has distinct threads that yeah. run through it does seem particularly and unfair.
5: yeah Was there another big fox show that was that was sort of competing with this when it came out <laughs> Everybody, I got bad news. We've been canceled.
4: Oh, no. Peter, how could they do that?
5: Well, unfortunately, Lois, there's just no more room on the schedule. We've just got to accept the fact that Fox has to make room for terrific shows like Dark Angel, Titus, Undeclared, Action, That 80s Show, Wonder Falls, Fast Lane, Andy Richter Controls the Universe, Skin, Girls Club, Cracking Up, The Pits, Firefly, Get Real, Freaky Links, Wanda at Large... Costello, The Lone Gunman, A Minute with Stan Hooper, Normal Ohio, Pasadena, Harsh Realm, Keen Eddie, The Street, American Embassy, Cedric the Entertainer, The Tick, Louie, and Greg the Bunny.
4: Is there no hope?
5: Well, I suppose if
0: all those shows go down the tubes, we might have a shot. Okay, right. This is a conspiracy, and it's kind of a sensitive issue, but it's been 11 years now. Um, Post 9-11 not really a very accommodating place in the USA for anti-establishment. Reggie Against the Machine were banned from the radio. System of a Down were banned from the radio. Doing a show about people who are being chased by the establishment and actually committing crimes, on its most basic simplistic, stared at by an imbecile level, do you want to get that off screen as soon as possible? What I'm astonished at is that they greenlit it in the first place.
5: Yeah, because it's, uh, it's- Two years later, when
0: it was aired, so... Well, one year. Uh, it was September 11th, 2001. This was the 20th of September, 2002. Oh, sorry, cool. I thought they were shown
5: in 2003,
0: OK. Had okay. they
2: already signed the contract then? Was it already in the bag, maybe, when they, when it happened?
4: Maybe so. Shh. Oh. I'm sure they, they uh, greenlit Firefly simply because of the strength of Buffy... Um, you know, knowing Joss Whedon was involved in Buffy and how huge an audience that gained, so maybe they said, <laughs> oh, he wants to do another show? We'll sign off on it. And then, you know, a year later, you're like, oh, okay, maybe not. Maybe was Angel think- getting good ratings at the same time? Yeah, no, it did fairly well as well. So <laughs> That
1: also would have been right, I was, I was just looking up the dates now, that would have been right after the X-Files ended, so they have uh-huh. a pretty substantial science fiction hole to fill.
0: Science fiction holders are Jefferson Starship cover band. I
1: was waiting for something. I mean, you got to be something there. <laughs> 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 but but you know uh. what I mean, though. They it just with with having that, having had that as such a big thing on that network for such a long time, that ends. What are you going to put there to keep that particular audience kind of uh, engaged and not have them running off somewhere else? Maybe they thought that this would be the answer, and it just didn't turn out to be that way.
0: Yeah. No, I could see how Firefly wouldn't necessarily appeal to uh, all X-Files fans. There's going to be a crossover in the middle.
2: What were the numbers uh, like for the first few episodes? Have you got 4. access
0: 4. to 4.7 million by mid-December. That was actually, uh, by, by the end, actually, 4.7 million views. Uh, that, that was 98th in the Nielsen ratings. So clearly they just looked at it and said, right, we don't want 98th, we want 1st through 10th. This thing's too expensive, kill it. Because it was an expensive show
3: to run. Nielsen ratings, honestly. Despair I despair the fact that they're still being used too. It's pathetic. Yeah. It's crazy. It's a terrible What's way the to average do American it. family like? <laughs>
5: it has less relevance in this day and age anyway, because they make most of their money on DVDs. Yeah. Which is why HBO so switched on to this stuff, you know, other I don't think they care because they know they'll make so much more money when it gets, when it gets sold on DVD. I think, was it, was it Carnival or whatever it was called? I know that made something like 20 times more money on DVD yeah. than it did when it aired. Mm. It's why Family
0: Guy was brought back because it made so much yeah, crazy money. Futurama armor as well. Futurama, yeah. yeah. So this has happened. That's going to be threaded throughout the show, this, this faint trace of possibility. This whisper of a, of a, I don't know, a desperation. Joss's remit on the show, and this is how he pitched it originally, was nine people looking into the blackness of space and seeing nine different things. Which is great. During filming for the pilot episode, Whedon was still arguing with Fox that the show should be displayed in widescreen. Consequently, he purposefully filmed scenes with actors on the extreme edges of both sides so that they could only be shown in widescreen. Oh, that's a good idea. You know, really dig your heels in. That'll, that'll make, grease the wheels with Fox. This led to a few scenes on the DVD and later Blu-ray where objects that should be visible, such as the ship's yoke, are not, since they would not have been needed in non-widescreen format. However, the pilot was rejected by the Fox executives who felt that it lacked action and the captain was too dour. This is when they said, could he be jolly, Mal? <laughs> they also disliked the scene in which the crew backed down to a crime boss, since that scene implied that the crew was, and this is a direct quote, being nothing. Thus, Fox told Whedon on a Friday afternoon that he had to submit a new pilot script on the Monday morning, or the show would not be picked up. Whedon and Tim Miner closeted themselves for a weekend to write what became the new pilot, the train job. At the direction of Fox, they added larger-than-life characters, such as the henchman Crow, who they, by the way, kicked into an engine afterwards to get rid of him, <laughs> and the uh, Hands of Blue Men, uh, who also introduced an X-Files-type ending. Uh, yeah, good point. Yeah, trying to... Honing in on the the new starving X-Files audience.
2: See, that sounds like a deliberately impossible task. What I'm putting mind of here is... Well, I was thinking <laughs> Baba Yaga and her thing about getting Vasilisa to separate the corn seeds from the poppy seeds, and she had one mm-hmm. night to do it all, and and absolutely no intention that she was going to succeed at this task. I bet they were really ticked off when Joss gave them that script on Monday morning. Yeah,
0: <laughs> they, they walked off chuckling to themselves going, ha ha ha, they could, no one could write a script for a 45-minute TV show over a weekend, that's just subhuman. <laughs> on a side note, by the way, I was thinking about this earlier today, the um, instances in Hollywood where a film starts being made without a finished script H- how does that happen H- how, how could you go you wouldn't start driving towards a place if you didn't know where it was
2: I- I've done that before to be fair
0: Okay, but, <laughs> but would you invest millions and millions of dollars on driving to a place that you didn't know where it was or even if it existed no. would you drive to Tiernanog <laughs>
2: You fool, you can't drive to Tiernan Oak. you have to ride a unicorn. Like, World War Z,
0: they started filming without a finished script. Pirates of the Caribbean 3, they started filming without a finished script. They started filming without a started script. Um,
2: the plan there was just to turn the camera on Johnny Depp and see what
0: happened. Here was a suggestion, lock your scriptwriter in a shed for five days. And let them go out to go to the toilet, but you know,
2: <laughs> no, they paid the for?
0: What are they being paid for? If you know you're starting to uh, to film in five days... Just get them into the shed and get them to focus. For God's sake, the script is the most important component of a film. Give them a no, nice it's not. Pile
1: of crack. It's
0: just- oh no, it's not.
3: If you're trying to make a ton of money off a franchise, the script is not the most important thing. The franchise name is.
0: I love the fact that the Avengers made a huge bajillion amount of uh, money, and a big chunk of that is actually because the script was excellent.
3: Oh, I'm not saying that's a good thing, but Transformers. Yeah. Uh, you know, also made a huge movie. ton of money and
0: much to my awful, So, <laughs> for the new pilot Fox made it clear that they would not air the episode in the widescreen format none of your widescreen fight the future Whedon and company felt that they had to serve two masters by filming widescreen for eventual dvd release but keeping objects in frame so that they could still work when aired in pan and scan also known as full frame now here's the interesting thing if you're cutting off big chunks of it it's not full frame I've actually heard it referred to as full frame elsewhere It's not. It's only full frame if you're seeing the full frame! To obtain an immersive and immediate feel, the episodes were filmed in a documentary style with handheld cameras, giving them the look of found footage with deliberately misframed or out-of-focus subjects. As Whedon related, don't be arched, don't be sweeping, be found, be rough and tumble and documentary, and you are there. Computer-generated scenes mimic the motion of handheld cameras. This style, however, was not used when shooting scenes that involved the central government, the Alliance. Tracking and steady cameras were used to show the... The sterility of this aspect of the Firefly universe. Another style employed was lens flares, harking back to the 1970s television. This style was so designed that the director of photography, David Boyd, sent back the cutting-edge lenses, which reduced lens flare, in exchange for cheaper ones other conspiracy theories uh, in terms of blunting the teeth of uh, you know, otherwise really anti-establishment works. The Matrix, the first one was all about fight the power second and third were actually about well if you think about it, the power is kind of part of us and you know, even if you fight the power you're still part of a system so let's just all learn to get along shall we that's what made me physically ill while watching the third Matrix
4: film um, i'm sorry alex there aren't any sequels to the matrix films i don't know sorry. What you're i was about.
1: Just kind of trying to work that out myself i you're in, talking in about my this, original uh, second and third i don't
0: in my original timeline they made them but frank thankfully someone went back in time and simply stopped that happening <laughs> one benefit of the full-scale two-part set design was that it allowed the viewers to feel by the way they made a full-scale serenity it's 190 was 190, uh, was it 190 feet Yes. Jeez. So if we, when we st- finally do start getting to build this thing, we're going to need a lot of tin, Sharon. It was, uh, allowed the viewers to feel that they were really in a ship. For Whedon, the design of the ship was crucial in defining the known space for the viewer and that they were not 1,400 decks and a holodeck and an all-you-can-eat buffet in the back. He wanted to convey that it was utilitarian and that it was beat up but lived in and ultimately it was home. As Josh Whedon discusses in the DVD commentary, each room represented a feeling or character usually conveyed by the paint colour. He explains that as you move from the back of the ship in the engine room towards the front of the ship to the bridge, the colours and mood progress from extremely warm to cooler. And besides evoking a mood associated with the characters who spend most of the time in each area, the colour scheme also alludes to the heat generated by
3: the tail of the ship. It's not just colour, it's, it's uh, or the amount of light as well. The, the engine room is... Yeah very brightly lit but when you get to the corridor that leads up to the bridge it's almost in complete darkness at times so obviously light and colour are much much the same thing but yeah there's definitely a lot more light towards the back uh, than there is the front it's always dark at the front of the ship
5: there's a lot of wood in the main living area they've got that big wooden table and they've got the wooden kitchenette thing
0: I do love the, uh, the the windows around the uh, the top of the um, area, so it feels like uh, a lived-in room rather than just a, a, a metal box. Firefly was promoted as an action comedy rather than a more serious character study that it was intended to be, and the Showbiz trade paper Variety noted Fox's decision to occasionally preempt the show for sporting events. Because that's really hitting exactly the same audience, isn't it? Clearly. so let's talk about Out of Gas which has now become my favourite episode I haven't seen this for a long long time and uh, when I finally got to see it it's uh, one of the most dramatic and it's one of the most it's got the most attachment to Serenity itself
5: I'd go along with that I think it's probably my favourite one as well mm. um, I'd, uh, I'm more for anything you know for anything else but the fact that, that it starts to fill in some of the little gaps as well yeah. these flashbacks and sort of gives you sort of a little bit of insight as to how the, this motley crew came together, which up until this point, all you've really seen is is obviously the Shepherd and the Tams. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of cool. It's a good show for, you know, Mal's character, not only because it shows you how sort of <laughs> indestructible he is, which uh, we'll see later in the movie, but also his, his just sheer determination and willpower that's seen him through, you know, all mm. the other, insert Chinese swear word, that he's been through before.
4: Well, his, I, his biggest strength is the same as serenity's. It's his stamina. It's his mm. ability to keep going. I think yeah. this one,
5: it's because it's really just about, it's, it's, it's two stories, because it's one about this, this problem that. They've got where Mal has to save, and if you give away, if you talk about it too much, you give away what actually happens, which is quite dramatic. And then it's about these flashbacks to how the crew got together, and really that's what it's about. It's, it's, it's a mechanism to leverage those little stories, uh, and, and it should just be enjoyed without any knowledge of the episode, I think.
4: The way um, Mal and Zoe um, come into contact with all the characters on the crew is interesting because it's not as um, easy as you might imagine. For example, Kaylee isn't their first choice. They have this other guy who's a complete, you know, useless mechanic on their ship first, and they only accidentally bump into Kaylee because she's sleeping with their mechanic. Um, I like that Zoe doesn't really like Walsh at first, he finds him a bit weird and unsettling. And um, Jane was. Yeah, and Jane was (laughs) their enemy at one point. I, I like that it wasn't just, you know, oh, we've got this job opening, come on board. It wasn't an easy route. They came to each other in all these complex ways.
2: I think it does make a nice point about how much relationships can change as well. Um, and, and you've got all these examples of, of, as you say, things that didn't fit, you know, the, the corners that didn't go together and the, the reasons why this ensemble shouldn't have worked. But it does. And something the the missing heart of serenity that that is this part that Mal is so desperately trying to click into place is almost a metaphor for these, these whole relationships clicking into place.
1: It almost seems like the personal relationships are mirroring the uh, the ship itself just in, and this is kind of putting together what a couple of different people have been saying, that everything works because it has to. Serenity keeps going despite the duct tape and despite the weird wiring and everything because it has to. And this this sort of seems like a a cynical way to look at it, but the relationships between the people on board keep going because they have to. I, I'm kind of reminded and I, I maybe somebody else remembers which episode this is in. It's in one of the later episodes, but I, it, when Simon and Kaylee are talking about something and he makes some allusion to her being the only woman in the world or you know, everybody else on the ship is either related to him or married it's, or... It's the message. Yeah.
0: It's when they've just seen the upside-down cow fetus.
1: Okay, yes. They kind of fit together because what else is there? And if you look at it, and I mean, they're, they're really lucky that it works out. Everybody on board is really lucky that it works out that way. But if they weren't confined to a ship together... Would Zoe and Wash still be married? Would, you know, Inara and Mal still have whatever it is they have? It's, It's just kind of a would all of this still be happening if it hadn't been kind of forced into a pressure cooker like this?
2: Well, I think that, that emphasizes the family feel of it, though, because that's that's the tone of a family, really, that, that people who, if you look at their disparate interests and, and um, you know, possibly their, their outlooks on life can be so very different, but because they're family, mm-hmm. they... In, in many situations, I do understand that that's not the case in a lot of families, but they do, you know, they, they try to get on and, and to support each other, even if they don't necessarily agree with, with everything that's going on with each other. And that's something that Firefly has always been about, is this feeling of family um, and, and everybody backing each other up, even when it's not necessarily in their best interests to do so. And I think that's why and, and we'll probably talk about this later on, but when um a certain betrayal occurs, the reason it hurts so much, even though if you think about it, you probably would have expected it, is because that's going against the, the family setup that's been created.
5: Um interesting thing about this episode though, it's directed by Alan Croker, who is a veteran of many sci fi series, but in particular Star Trek. I think he directed over forty episodes of Star Trek, the, the, the you know the new series, the various ones, all out to Enterprise. Gotcha. So, um, but looking through his his CV, he's done the odd bit of Battlestar Galactica and Dolls House and Buffy as well along the way. But you know, it's, it's I think it's interesting because this episode, I mean, it, like I said it's probably my favourite one, but it does have that kind of has a very polished feel to it compared to a lot of the others. Mm. I feel. Um, it's it's the closest in in tone really to to bits of Serenity the movie
0: yeah I was going to say it's very cinematic isn't it that's a huge strength for it more episodes like this I don't want to say they probably would have got carried on but would have been nice
3: well that ties into what uh, Leah was saying a minute ago about um, whether uh, for instance Wash and Zoe would still be together Mm. um, if they weren't on this ship based on what happens in war stories that's the kind of thing we would have found out had this carried on mm. we'd have had to find out those sort of things and obviously sadly we won't do but at some point people would have been given the opportunity to to break away from uh, Serenity and the rest of the crew and that would have been the basis of an episode for whichever character it was you don't believe it's ever coming back? <clears throat> I I wish it, I really would like it to but no I
5: don't think it's going to come back I'd, yeah, I wouldn't want the TV series to come back I would like another one more movie But I'm not. I don't think we need another TV series.
3: I I just think it's been too long. I don't think a a reboot is is possible. But I I don't think it's going to come back. Unfortunately, not not as a TV series. Animated? That would be great.
4: It would get past the whole um, nation aliens blown up a bit. (laughs) being twice the man he used well, to be <laughs> they, did,
5: they did it with Star Trek and I've got the Star Trek animated series that's
4: not the same thing at
0: all
5: it is you know actually that is the same thing sorry Gary you're absolutely it right
0: uh, it's the same cast and it's it's Hanna-Barbera but it's well yeah, but some of them were point. pretty
5: good actually um, I mean quite a few of the episodes were written by DC Fontana who wrote most of the the really good ones in the original Star Trek and also in Babylon 5 You know, so they had a pedigree But you're right, they had the Hanna-Barbera, you know, running to the left permanently. (laughs) 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 I'm trying to figure out what kind of slot it would even go
0: into, because can anyone tell me any uh, non-anime at this point, adult-oriented animated TV shows? Futurama. Family Guy. They're all comedies.
1: Yeah. Well, you so could say, yeah.
0: Sorry, yeah. You yeah. could say that this could be billed as a comedy. I'm just trying to work out what, how, how they would pitch it. I, you know in all seriousness? I actually think that they, they would be better off putting themselves up against the legend of
4: Korra. Yeah. Or just give it to them. To, oh.
0: <laughs> oh my god. You've just given me the greatest buzz in my entire life just thinking about that. I, don't know what I, was say, then. <laughs> I just said buzz. That's not a family show. Okay. There is actually one really nice uh, little story that I've got to mention here. Um, Alan Tudyk, this is mentioned on the commentary, Alan Tudyk uh, salvaged from Serenity as they were tearing it to pieces uh, a button, a recall button, which um, was what Mal was supposed to press to get the shuttles to come back. It's a significant part of the show. And he sent it to Joss uh, with a message saying, if you work out the miracle to get this show back on the air, when you do that, press this button which is so heart-takingly lovely
4: and it says how how much everyone was invested in this show like mm. that it's not just the crew the characters who are a family um, it was the you know the entire production team the writers the cast everyone fell in love with this project and bonded over it it reminds me
0: of the Hobbit in the way that the uh, the Weta Workshop and, and company have all come running back, and have been wanting to do this, and wanting to just get just get back to that project that they were working on that changed their lives, and to be given this chance finally.
2: See, the the best ending to that story is that they do get an animated show or, or whatever it is that. You know Something. that it that it metamorphoses into and and Joss is looking at the button thinking should i press it should i get everyone's hopes up and then he opens the door and they're all stood there
5: <laughs> oh by the way the uh
0: the catalyzer thing that breaks down and that there, that is everything to the crew suddenly that this...
3: was the thing mouse said he didn't need in the pilot episode
0: Yep, that I wasn't going to mention that, but yeah, that was is the thing. I think was it that Kaylee was saying I need to replace it, and he said nah. Without it, we're in the water. A couple of things.
2: Isn't it connected Um, to that? Wasn't it the compression coils that she said she needed? That was the exact
3: the thing that broke. Is the thing she said they needed in the pilot episode (sighs) of it.
2: See, listen to Kaylee. She
0: knows what she's talking about. about. In the next episode, Ariel, when they go through the junkyard, I don't know if it's Kaylee or someone else. It's Wash. Picks up a catalyzer and just tosses it to one side. Like it's junk. Like he doesn't need it. (laughs) Um, It's literally that same bit. And uh, the actual catalyzer... Now the prop is on the bookcase of Richard Castle's apartment in New York, as in uh, Nathan Fillion in the TV show Castle.
1: Nice.
0: Mm. There's a a YouTube video of the various references to Firefly that are made uh, throughout Castle. Uh, Most of them are are kind of... I know there's uh, there's
2: one where he goes to a Halloween party in a brown coat.
0: Dressed. Not just a brown coat. Dressed Dressed as Mal Reynolds, uh, yeah.
1: yeah.
2: Hey. Hey. I was, I was just trying
3: on my Halloween costume.
1: What exactly are you supposed to be?
3: Space cowboy.
1: Okay, A, there are no cows in space. B, didn't you wear that like five years ago?
6: So? So don't you think you should move on? I like it.
0: So, I mean, it's, it's good that fans of uh, Nathan Fillion get to see him in a regular TV show that's not been cancelled yet, so... To, to the best of my knowledge. Okay. So that was out of gas. Next one is Ariel. And this is the one where uh, Simon ostensibly tries to get River into the Alliance hospital to scan her brain. Uh, but in doing so, he manages to make it something for the entire crew. Uh, in the, it's a heist. It's an Ocean's Eleven-style heist. And it's really quite tense.
4: One thing that I noticed watching it this time round is how they're making the most out of their budget with this episode. <laughs> um did anyone notice the roof boxes yeah. that they used as um, coffins, coffins for those people? <laughs> yeah. It was just I mean yeah, the, they made the, the same most thing of people it. have to, they, want to go camping. Yeah, yeah. They they added an effect where the, the colour would change when, you know, she pressed that button. But they were just roof boxes. So I found that kind of funny. Um, the the scene that always makes me laugh is when they're trying to learn uh, the lingo um, when they enter the uh, you know the front desk of the hospital, and Jane just can't get it. He just keeps repeating it, repeating it, and he never gets it right. <laughs> but when they finally get there, it's completely pointless, and Jane does it anyway, and he does it perfectly. <laughs> it's, just a
0: great moment. It's, it's a really good episode if you uh, especially if you're a Simon fan, because he's finally in control. The entire crew are listening to him. It's wonderful to actually see Simon effectively holding court at this point.
2: Well, one thing I I like about that um, that whole segment really is that for so much of the series, the emphasis on Simon has been how much of a fish out of water he is in their world, how he doesn't mm. fit in, how he doesn't understand mm. the things that they do. That he you know he flounders when they're in. Which which is the episode where. Um, jane gets him to come onto the ship that they're they're salvaging from and he gets his suit on on, yeah but this this is his environment
6: Mm. and
2: and he gets to it, it in effect show how capable he is um particularly with that scene where the guy's dying and he just has that moment of i'm a doctor do i walk away from this or do i go and do something about it even though it risks blowing my cover um and he- it's a great way of
0: getting you to start rooting for Simon as well because you're like hey, you know what he's actually a good person he cares for people other than River yeah. because that's th- that is the thump- hump you need to get over for the first few episodes with Simon, because he just keeps going, River, 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 River. And it's like, you know what? There are things in this world outside of your crazy sister. But I think
2: a lot of that is that he is so far out of his depth that really, he needs River as much as she needs him at that point. He is clinging to her as the one thing that gives his life meaning and purpose in this new environment where he doesn't know how to put one foot in front of the other.
1: I have some trouble with Jane in this episode.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: specifically, I have trouble with... With Mal not spacing him, like I, it I I understand where it's coming from, because I understand that like we've been talking about, you know, it is a family, and if you can avoid it, most families are not going to completely turn on Kill. one of their own. But <laughs> he was ready to hand over, you know, his quote unquote family. And he I, wasn't just ready, he
0: did hand him over yeah. and he was just surprised when he didn't get paid for yeah.
1: it. And it's... It, that, that little bit of remorse that he shows just doesn't seem like enough to me. I, no. I, I, I kind of have trouble believing that Mal would bring him back in and prioritize keeping him around just for that than prioritize the safety of the rest of his crew. knowing that this is something that Jane is definitely capable
2: yeah I think you've got a fine point there because uh, especially if having seen uh, out of gas we now know the circumstances in which Jane came aboard so we know that basically he will turn as soon as a better offer comes along Mm
0: -hmm. well he says in in the the pilot you know money wasn't good enough and what happens when the money is good enough Mm -hmm. well we'll see and they do see At that point, Mal. Well, the thing is that because of not killing him, after that, Jane becomes a far firmer part of the crew. He actually goes out of his way to be a little bit more accepting of Simon and River and becomes less of a complete and total. Bancheng Shung, do Idwe role.
2: Yeah, that works.
4: Okay. One thing that stands out to me during that scene is when Jane says, don't tell them, don't tell them what I did. Mm -hmm. So. He's willing to make that choice, to make that decision, but he can't live with the shame of people knowing what he did. So I feel like Mal felt like, because he has that piece of information hanging over Jane, if Jane you know, goes out of line ever again, he can just say, well, do you want me to reveal our little secret to the rest of the crew?
2: I guess he may have felt that he had cemented Jane's loyalty. In yeah, that particular mm. scenario.
4: And that
0: he would... If he ever had the opportunity again, he would simply kill Jane. Mm.
4: I believe in I second not, chances, no. but I don't believe in third chances. Jane's essentially... Isn't scared of much, footage.
3: but he is scared of Mal. Yeah. Because he knows that Mal would kill him in a heartbeat if he needed to. I think it's actually it's
0: James' fear at that point that actually gives weight to the idea that Mal is still in control. Because if he just sort of sat back and went, you won't do it, then of course... Mal then looks like a weakling for letting him out. But also, we've got to understand that that he's been a lot longer with Jane than than we ever got to, and we'll ever get to. He must see something worthwhile in this guy, even if it doesn't, if it, if it's hidden very far below the surface.
2: I wouldn't say that scene makes Mal come across as a weakling.
0: It would to Dwight Schrute.
2: Come on, anybody comes across as a weakling to Dwight Schrute.
0: True. I I, I like the fact that the um, shuttle that they put together is the shell of a Hind D for Metal Gear Solid fans. Uh,
4: One scene I do want to talk about, actually, is a scene where um, they actually scan River's brain and they find out exactly why she behaves the way she is. Um, It's because her stripta amygdala has been severely damaged and that part of your brain is the part of your brain that filters emotions. It allows you to maintain control. So, if you're angry, you're able to control the anger. If you're sad, you're able to control that despair. Without hmm. it, your emotions control you. So, River, when she's sad, she is sad. When she's angry, she is angry. So, it's just this interesting. Interesting kind of dementia where it's not so much a logical thing where they they don't have a grip on logic, it's more that they don't have a control over their emotional states.
2: Can I just interject there? It's the amygdala. Simon says they Sorry. stripped her amygdala. As in they stripped That's off right. all the <laughs> protective. Sorry.
0: Sorry. Right. Just say they stripped her amygdala.
1: Amygdala. Amygdala.
4: amygdala. They stripped her amygdala. Yeah stripped her amyg- amygdala 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 i can't speak words <laughs> say amygdala
3: i knew you were gonna do i'm that. sorry
0: i'm sorry it's a, no um actually josh you know what that kind of reminds me of and it's going to sound really odd uh tinkerbell yeah. yeah she's so small she only has room for one emotion and so she just feels it intensely each time. The the ability to put one emotion up against another is what allows us to filter them. But if you only intensely feel one, then you are, by, by all intents and purposes, to civilised society, crazy. Or or just like a very, very small child. Like a toddler usually tends to feel only one emotion all the time and can't filter it and can't understand it.
2: And can switch and between one emotion to another very, very quickly as well. That's another thing that, that makes... Uh, River come across as unstable and unbalanced sometimes because she can be feeling one thing incredibly loudly and then suddenly switch to something else.
0: Okay, right. So we'll move on to another episode, War Stories. Uh, this is the one with a lot of tension between Mal and Zoe and Wash, and obviously Niska <laughs> returns. Yeah, <But> a,
5: <laughs> a rather unpleasant character. And not wishing yes. to bring the Jenga's Bond thing into this, but it does remind me a lot. He's a
0: Bond villain. Yeah,
5: a, uh, of a Bond villain, particularly the 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 guy in Is It Tomorrow Never Dies. The yes, a, I'm sure you are. I'm quite good. Yeah, <laughs> it's very similar. Yeah. I could
0: shoot it from Stuttgart and still produce the proper effect, yeah. And the guy that they quote Shan Yu, like, I think he was king of the Mongol hordes, is actually a character in Mulan.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's the villain.
5: You've lost me. I don't know what Mulan is, but...
0: <laughs> oh, my <laughs> goodness. Yeah. You... Uh, uh, right. How old are you a kid right now, Zen? Three. Okay. When you get into the Disney phase, you'll get the Mulan, Ah, uh,
5: Well, I'm trying to keep a lid on that, so... Really? Why? I can't stand Disney. Okay. Hate it, hate it, hate it. What? So, why? It's a different topic. I just, I just find it saccharine garbage, and 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 I just hate everything to do with that company. Uh,
0: what was the last Disney film you saw? Probably Robin
5: Hood.
2: Yeah, they got better they, after that.
5: They've yeah. changed somewhat. <laughs> uh, I've
4: seen, really? I've <laughs> seen Dumbo recently because we've got Dumbo on Blu-ray.
0: Again. My
5: again.
2: <laughs>
6: uh,
4: the 90s ni- the, the the was a renaissance period for Disney. They produced some of the best films ever made during that period. And Tangled
0: and The Princess and the Frog, absolutely fantastic stuff.
4: Beauty and the Beast is
1: my favourite movie ever.
4: Yes, high five, Leah.
1: Thank
0: you. <laughs> okay, so we're not going to shut you down, Zan, but I, I would say don't try to keep Disney from your child forever. Because some of them, the kid might... I mean,
5: you don't even have to watch them yourself. No, I don't. No, no, that, no, she's... she's. I think she's seen The Lion King and so stuff. Just not oh, when I I'm around. She's... Okay, that's fine.
0: Yeah, sure. I, don't, I don't want to force you to sit through movies you hate, but... Uh, no, you know, I just, it's, not, it's just the, oh, the
5: racist, fascist company. I just don't have anything to do with them, really. They're different now because they got bought by Pixar, effectively. So most of those people will got rid of. Jesus! <laughs> have you not noticed, Mickey Mouse is the most racist thing... As you know, ever, it's just appalling. I I had noticed that Mickey Mouse was <laughs> read, read, yeah. He's also called a geese. Yeah, I yeah, don't want to break your illusion, but read up about Disney in the forties and fifties. It's oh, quite
4: I so yeah. well of the forties. I'm, I'm, yeah. it's it, I'm just, just not not now. I'm, I'm talking. Cause my love of Disney comes from their later stuff, not their earlier stuff. Hmm.
0: Anyway, we'll we'll move on. But I am leaving this in the show because it's fascinating.
2: (laughs) Zoe takes orders from Mal in a way that traditionally and I don't think he's suggesting that she should in their particular case but traditionally a wife would be would be guided in the way her life went by her husband Zoe takes that guidance from Mal but she doesn't take it from Wash
4: I think there's a lack of understanding on Wash's part the full nature of Zoe and Mal's relationship you know perfectly understandable from an outsider looking in it looks like these two could be a couple if they wanted to but they've maintained this kind of partner relationship rather than becoming a couple but w- it's hard for wash to you know separate the two things in his mind i think Sorry.
1: i'm not going to say that it's it, it, that it's entirely wash's problem and that you know he's not justified in any way whatsoever but i i, I think that in outlook it is it, it is more something that he is is taking issue with than I don't, I don't know. Well,
0: I mean, if you look at the, the show itself. Who changes by the end? Whose who's, um, evolution is this as a character? Is it is it Wash? Is it Zoe? Is it Mal?
4: It's Wash.
2: It's just Wash. Yeah.
5: Yeah. yeah. The others don't change at all. They go back to how things were.
2: I, yeah. I don't think that, that any of them necessarily change. I think, however, their perceptions of the, the relationship lines change. And I think Wash is... Understanding of the relationship lines has the most dramatic evolution.
0: So, how does his perception change?
4: The way he perceives Mao. There's a moment where he leaves the torture room and uh, he says he's crazy, mm-hmm. and Zoe says, "Oh, I know," it's, uh, but no, and he's talking about Mao, not Niska. Mao mm. is crazy any normal person would have broke under that kind of torture under that kind of pressure but he just yeah. wouldn't let it happen and if it wasn't for Mal being there Wash would have broke yeah
3: wash also leaves that that uh, room with a a better understanding of what it is that Zoe sees in Mal he understands yes. why she will follow him without without really you know Thinking ever considering not doing what, what he says because he understands why uh, what it is that, that makes Zoe follow Mal he understands why he's the leader that he is
0: He also kind of has to step into Mal's shoes to go on the offensive for one of the first times in his life. I don't think he's ever he fired off a weapon and, and he actually has to sort of load up with his wife and go in there as a unit
5: I think it's a bit more simplistic than that as well in that he, he goes into this episode with huge insecurities about his marriage and about the relationship and, and basically leaves that room knowing that those insecurities were unfounded. So, you know, everything else, it falls into place for him, but ultimately that's what's, that yeah. is his insecurities that he's exercised.
3: He knows, yeah. he knows that if it really comes down to it, he, he is Zoe's number one priority, yeah. but yeah. The, until it really comes down to a, it, it's one or the other, she will, you know, basically manage things so as she can, uh, keep both of them happy almost if it, not yeah. quite the right wording but yeah she, she will follow Mal and, and be a faithful wife until she really has to choose in which, ca- in which case she will choose wash over Mal mm. but, but up to that point he'd never had that proved he, yeah, he yeah. She
0: had to actually he didn't to. witness that happen I yeah. think
2: part of that as well is that he realises that she's got the wit to assess the situation and and come up with the response that she feels is most appropriate one of the, the charges almost that he levels at her at the beginning is that she just blindly follows whatever Mal says without really thinking about it um, and I think he, he does come to realise that she is actually assessing the situation with her own brain and, and making decisions based on that I mean it could be argued that one of the reasons that she instantly pulls Wash out of that situation and not Mal is because she knows that left to it which one of them is more likely to walk out of it alive
5: Mm-hmm. Also, she's putting Niska on the back foot at that point because he's expecting yes. her. He's looking forward to seeing her having that dilemma. Yeah, and she just immediately it basically makes Mal look like he's worthless, which uh, you know from a torturous point of view takes away one of his his pleasures that he's getting. Yeah, yeah? so it immediately makes her well, you know, don't care about That's the other guy, opinion. do what yeah. you want with him. You know, so if it, oh sorry, were you expecting me to have to choose? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So if anything, that 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 potentially was going to save Mal. So, any more on war stories? Oh, yeah, I think Niska's fantastic. <laughs> I don't know. It's a shame they had to kill him. <laughs> Did they kill him? Oh, no, know, they didn't. He he didn't. Just no, no he, he ran just off away to, to fight another oh, day. He like he <laughs> Okay, well, that's, yeah, it's a shame <laughs> The,
0: the henchman
2: back, gets healed, killed in quite a horrendous way. Ah, yes,
5: that's yeah. The other henchman, yeah. The
3: <laughs> second <laughs> horrible death for a henchman there, but one of the funniest moments. The henchman agent on the
0: phone straight away for Niska.
3: If only James
0: was here. Henchman agent? Hello. This is Mr Niska. Ah, Mr Niska. Such a pleasure as always. How is Ivan working out for you? Ivan? Who is Ivan? Uh, You know, Ivan Crow. Seven foot tall Ostrogoth. Carries a big hook boomerang thing. Scary face tattoo. Good at Scrabble. Like to eat puppies. This man is dead. Dead? Oh good gracious me. He was kicked into Starship Engine by a filthy double dealing brown coat. Kicked into an engine? Yes. You're sure he's quite dead? He really was a tough bugger. Could he still be out there hunting down his quarry, clinging to the underside of their spaceship perhaps? He did like to do that. My men see him burn to bits. All they find of him is boomerang hook thing. He is obliterate. Obliterated? That does sound nasty. Hey-ho, though. Hazard of the trade. I could tell you a few stories. Well, I'll inform his sixteen children. You have other for me? Oh, absolutely. I've got a boatload on the books. One's got metal teeth. I've got one with a claw for a hand. One of them's got a laser eye in his forehead, a robot arm and a robot leg. Uh, just the one robot leg. Yes, it's not very balanced, I'll be honest. He can't run very fast and when he does it's not a pretty sight, but you should see him stride torture assistant. Yes, actually we do have a torture assistant. Big blonde fellow, very German. I
4: am German.
0: Even more German than you, though.
4: One of the funniest moments in the series for me is in this episode where uh, Mal is fighting the henchman, and Zoe goes, no, no, don't shoot. This is Mal's fight. And Captain Mal goes, no, it's out his own. no it's not. No,
2: uh, it's not. Like- <laughs> I love that. I love that. And then thing. they all
4: just empty,
3: empty magazines, and the guy just di- disintegrates. Almost, it's brilliant. Mm. This is one of the few
0: straight-out um, gunfights, but it's 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 a gunfight done in in not a Wild West fashion. It's working through like almost like a a, a relatively untrained SWAT team, except it, for it, River. Except for River and, of course, Kaylee.
1: I more meant that River doesn't even need the, the training because this, this is right, the one, yeah, isn't yeah. it, where she just kind of takes one look mm-hmm. and then goes pop, 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 three headshots?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like uh, Red Dead Vision. Yeah, Dead Eye. Dead Eye. Yeah, yeah. yeah in Red Dead where You're just like clicking, 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 and you paint the targets. So at the end, do you think that Wash is now asserting himself or is that going to really change his the way he interacts with Zoe later on? Because or... I think he has actually changed.
5: I well, think perceptions change. I don't think his uh, attitude changes. His position in that relationship is already established. I think this was really just about, uh, you know, sort of um, removing some of the, where do we stand? Yeah, removing some of the the dark thoughts that he had been having. Really, okay. it
2: is a, a good example, I think, of the uh, the idea that you can you can't control the circumstances that life puts you in and you certainly can't control how other people behave towards you. What you can control is how you see that and how you respond to it.
0: Okay, you know the Alliance are a conglomeration of Western and Asian big business. Um, There's two things that reminds me of very significantly. uh, Both connected with Ridley Scott, both late 70s, early 80s. Anybody? Blade Runner. And?
2: Alien.
0: Yep. Well and The
2: alien comparison actually was uh, one that I was going to mention when you were talking about the the ship and the the various different rooms that dining table setup is almost like a a negative of the very um, cold metallic dining room in alien but it has that similar tone with them all sat around laughing and and joking about various things before it all goes horribly wrong
0: I see in alien they don't seem to like each other in aliens they do I mean, they're, they're, clearly they get on each other's wick, but um, they've known each other for a long while. They've worked alongside each other. So there's, there's kind of a Cameron riff in there. There's also a T2 uh, feel to certain other episodes, like uh, uh, Ariel, when they, when Jane and it pretty much must say, come with me if you want to live, to get the uh, Tams out. And uh, one thing that you said, uh, Sharon, is that uh, with the success of The Avengers... Joss is second fiddle only to James Cameron in terms of most successful films ever, since Cameron holds the numbers one and two spots. Hmm. but now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, good point. Avengers 2 could be even bigger.
5: Mind you think, so could Avatar 2. Mm. Really? He's making another one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he's making four. It's Avatar 2, Avatar 3, and then the prequel. Mm. Wonderful. (coughs) He's Um, learned
2: anything from Lucas It's you don't stop when you're on a roll
0: (laughs) I don't know James Cameron's really good at doing twos He did Alien That
4: is... Yeah, true. (laughs) He
0: did Aliens. He did Terminator 2. Ergo, he's very, very good at at expanding on worlds. Very good at
2: doing sequels, you might have wanted to phrase that.
0: He's very, very good at doing number twos. (laughs) Film number two. Number twos on film, James Cameron is good at.
2: (laughs) Yeah, he could sue you for that.
0: (sighs) Anyway, I I watched The Avengers today because uh, it's awesome, and because... (laughs) Uh, someone put forth the idea that uh, Loki meant. Oh, sorry. No one's listening to this if they haven't seen the Avengers. Loki meant to get caught at the end. Loki meant for everything to happen and actually set up a plan where, wherein if he won, then he won. And if he lost, then he won. And the idea is he's trying to get taken to Asgard uh, to get his hands on the Infinity Gauntlet for Thanos. And watching Avengers again, I realized that even though Firefly may never turn up again in any form, its spirit has been brought forwards to the Avengers. And watching that film, it has... The 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 language and the the setting are obviously different, but the pacing, the way it's all actually about an oddball family coming together, uh, and the scale is vastly increased, but it still feels like a deeply personal piece. I love... That this has been brought forward from Firefly to the Avengers. So, yeah, that was the unnameable feeling that was growing in me while I was watching it originally at the cinema. And now I can put a finger on it. You go, oh, yeah, it was Firefly. Critics. Many reviews focused on the show's fusion of Wild West and Outer Space motifs. TV guides Matt Roosh, for instance, called the show Oddball and noted how literally the series took the metaphor of space operas as westerns. Roosh opined that the shift from space travel to horseback was jarring, but once he got used to this, he found the characters cleverly conceived and the writing a crisp balance of action, tension and humour. I think he's just talking about the pilot at that point. Although, would he have been? Because... That didn't even come out to the very very end.
4: I think hmm. he was talking about the whole series. It sounds like somebody who watched the whole thing.
0: Oh, um, well, I think there's actually horseback riding in the train job, so you could feasibly do that after
5: just what you know, just the train job. You could make those assumptions
0: um, um, because it really does start to gel a lot more in the later episodes. TV, TV
5: critics are normally given two or three episodes to watch, aren't they? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd imagine he's probably seen three example shows, but probably just before the first one aired, and then has made that that call on that. Okay,
0: so that's that's a little bit better than just let the average TV critic see one episode and make a knee-jerk reaction based on the pilot. Several reviewers, however, criticised the show's setting. Uh, Tim Goodman of the San Francisco Chronicle felt that the melding of western and sci-fi fiction genres was a forced hodgepodge of two alarmingly opposite (laughs) genres just for the sake of being different and it called the series a vast disappointment.
5: Well, obviously you obviously watched no TV sci-fi in the last 40 years then because they're all remakes of westerns. I mean, <laughs> Star Trek was bonanza in space. You know, that was what it was. So, idiot.
0: Karina Chicano of Salon.com said that while the Space as Wild West metaphor is fairly redundant, neither genre connected to the present. See, that's the thing that that Josh said was the most important aspect of the show, that it was the past and it was the future, and they were both relevant today. His point was that uh, nothing would change in 500 years and we'd still have the same moral dilemmas that uh, we have now. Emily Newsbaum of the New York Times reviewed the DVD and noted that the programme featured an oddball genre mix that might have doomed it from the beginning. It was a character-rich sci-fi western comedy drama with existential underpinnings, a hard sell during a season dominated by... Anyone remember the big show of 2002, Leah? No. It was Joe Millionaire. Oh, yeah! The Boston Globe described Firefly as a wonderful imaginative mess, brimming with possibility. The review further notes the difference between the new series and other programs to be that those shows burst onto the scene with slick pilots and quickly deteriorate into mediocrity. Firefly is on the opposite creative journey. Jason Snell called the show one of the best on television and one with the most potential for future brilliance. So, yeah, I, I don't honestly think that critical acclaim could really have helped it that much. It would have to be a, a widespread critical acclaim on, on a level. I, I actually kind of think that if if it came out now, Firefly would do a lot better. Oh, Absolutely. With social networking, people would be talking about it more. There'd be a lot more fan-based um, uh, chat on it. And if only they'd gone to Universal and not Fox.
4: Yeah.
0: Because they, Universal kept Battlestar Galactica going for four seasons, and it finished.
4: well. The, it properly finished. The last ten years have been the most important time period for television mm. in the, for the entire history of the medium, because... The way it's approached, the way people talk about it, the way it's consumed is completely different than it's ever been, and the way TV shows are made is completely different. We, we've we kind of gotten past the whole episodic, self-contained episode that used to be the norm um, before Everything the, has to be
2: back to the same again by the end of the episode.
4: Yeah, yeah. Not if you're
0: Jeff Loeb. Jeff Loeb doesn't like anything that has an overarching story. Oh, well, like.
4: he's a dumbass. Um... <laughs> But like, you know, we've got stuff like Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, where if you come into the middle of a season of Game of Thrones or Breaking Mm. Bad, you're going to have no idea what's going on. I think if Firefly came out now, I think it would not only have been better received, but it might have actually been a better show because it would have been given the space it needed to really thrive.
1: But Which is ke- potentially aired in the correct order as well.
4: Yeah, but, yeah the, the mm. key difference here is that this was shown on a
5: channel that uh, it bases all of its funding around advertising, whereas yeah. some of the examples you're giving, like you know the HBO stuff and that, is although they you know they have advertising, it's not it's a subscription model, and yeah. and they're actually looking at the bigger picture to sell this thing afterwards, you know, to syndicate it and to put it on DVD and Blu-ray and all the yeah. other stuff. But, that's but, where they make their money. They're they're almost using the you know like in, in the, over here they're using the BBC model where. You know, it's not about uh, it's about it's about the product and the quality of the product rather yeah. than um, selling ad space. And Fox, mm. I'm sh- you know I, I haven't been to the states for about seven years, but certainly when I when I've been over there, Fox is a dreadful channel and it's all about adverts. Oh
2: yeah, yeah yeah. But would it be fair to say that Firefly, going through what it went through, has contributed in part to the fact that TV has gone that way?
5: Yes. It's, because I, people it, can
2: point to that and say there no, was this show and it started so much
5: earlier it's the, yeah. the, most people consider that Twin Peaks was actually the start of this because they, they brought in cinematic sensibilities to how you produce mm. the show and they made it so that it was almost impenetrable if you missed the previous ones and, think, yeah. and and that's part of the reason that that show got canned as well because um, once people started falling away from it they couldn't get
4: back into it and so CBS then dropped it but um this TV show certainly wasn't the first one to do it, but after this show had aired, um, this uh, you started to see lots of other shows copying its model. Is The Sopranos? The Sopranos was the one that really kick-started the whole long-form storytelling that almost yeah. every TV show does now. Not the first one, but it was the the one that said, come on, this is successful, people want to watch this stuff, and everyone else started doing it as well. Yeah.
0: And if you look at the various reasons why they could have actually cut um, Firefly from their schedule and said, look, this, no one's going to want to um, uh, to see sci-fi, you know, set on, on spaceships in the middle of space. Immediately, BSG comes out one year later, thanks to Universal, and proves a huge, massive hit. And, and maintained that over multiple years and got to finish properly. So it wasn't for the lack of, of, of interesting... You know interest in sci fi uh, it couldn 't be that the more sexy elements and the, the, the inara 's profession were churning people's stomachs, even though Fox is kind of an old fashioned American values type station
5: because it, of
0: you know massive amount of sex in that. I think it's and more, more a case of
5: this this show doesn't fit into a particular demographic that they would mm. sell advertising for. You know, this is not the sort of show that you're gonna have wall to wall Mountain Dew adverts in the middle of or uh, health insurance adverts. You know, so Geeks are notoriously difficult to advertise. Well, they're to. not. They're not who people advertise. You know, advertisers don't target that market in general. We all have ad blockers. Well, it's not that. It's it that a, lot, a lot of the products that get the sort of big TV advertising campaigns behind them are basically aimed at either very young people or very old people, and not much in between. And so shows well, like Stuart
0: Stairmaster.
5: Indeed, yeah, but, uh, it, yeah, exactly. So, it's very difficult for them to sort of sell ad space for this sort of show because they, they can't say, oh, yeah, this is great for your, you know, you've got your space, <laughs> you're going to do a 20 week, uh, campaign of selling, you know, life insurance or something. This is perfect for you because it's not, it's a terrible fit. And, and so, they, it does whereas, you know, if they've got some sports show or that, that reality TV show that you mentioned earlier, which you can absolutely nail what demographic that's being aimed at, yeah. uh, and you can have, you know, I don't know adverts for Victoria's Secret or something in it you know what I mean so it's it, that, that's one of the key problems with this show is that it was just too out there to actually fit into a particular um, you know, to, to make it a proposition that they could sell quite how they managed it with the X-Files I don't know maybe that was just because it was such a phenomenal of success they just sold the ad space anyway you know... I,
0: it's a shame we're not going to do a Gonzo on the X Files because I did enjoy that show back in the day. I just stopped at season three. Ah,
5: uh, yeah, I've got them all. I can't watch them because they scare me. Really? <laughs> Some of them I've <laughs> give me the they give me the willies. Yeah, not the not the uh, alien stuff. That's that's just rubbish. But the the the, the, the more sort of. Um, Dude squeeze no, for no, me No, the, the is it which, which is the one with the bloke who ate people's livers? That that was the Ed, one that really.
1: Squeeze, yes. Yeah,
5: that was squeeze, yeah. that was that's one of the ones. There's another <laughs> one, peculiar. There's another one with the bees as well, these weird bee things that, you know, I couldn't cope with that. Do you remember the one Brad Dourif was on
0: as the uh yeah, um, it, the sidekick? Yeah, well,
5: I've seen Thanks, Julia. Yeah, I've seen them all, but uh, yeah, I don't know what you mean.
0: It's where he starts talking to um, Scully in the voice of, uh, well, it, with the accent of her, her father. And he calls her, is it Starbucks? It is Starbuck. Her. Oh, man. Brad Dourif is fantastic in Deadwood and creepy as all hell in uh, Lord of the Rings. And uh, <laughs> listen, yeah.
1: listen, you want random X-Files trivia? I got it for you.
0: You know what? Should we talk about trash? Mm. Yeah.
1: Maybe. <laughs> I mean, if okay. you want.
0: Saffron comes back. Only now she's called, Was it? Bridget. Bridget,
3: no. yeah.
5: yeah. Yes.
0: Yes, to begin with. She's a Yolanda later oh, on. Oh, that's it, yeah. And Yosef Brid, if you're keeping up and uh, start. you want to talk about the character uh, on forums and, and actually be savvy. Um, Josh, this is one of your favourite episodes. Why?
4: I think it's mainly my favourite episode because I'm a huge fan of crime films. And I know Ariel was a heist film as well, but this one feels like a proper heist film. It follows the structure of uh, something like an Oceans and Eleven... Uh, oceans of Eleven... Oceans of Eleven? Oceans Eleven. <laughs> it's Oceans and Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it follows the structure of that kind of movie to the T, even with the little twist at the end, um, uh, which is great. I, The opening to this episode is one of the best openings where Mal is just sitting on a rock but naked And it's about finding out how he got to that point. Um, Saffron is great in this episode as well. Uh, You know, she's in full femme fatale mode now. There's none of that, apart from when she's, um, you know, playing it up towards the end of the episode. She's kind of showing her true self to everyone, which is great. Um, I I love the plan. I love... My favorite part of heist movies is when they're just, you know, they're figuring out exactly what they're going to do. OK, we need to um, get past the security system. How are we going to do that? We're going to throw it in the bin. You know, <laughs> it's great. It's a great plan. Um, and just seeing how it works together. And of course, it doesn't go to plan. No heist movie ever goes to plan. There's always something that goes wrong. But it's just a really well-constructed episode. So, what it reminded
5: me a lot of was um, Maverick, both the TV series and the film.
1: The Mel Gibson? Yeah.
5: It's got a very similar tone and structure to it, which, again, because they're. I mean, Maverick was. The film was a Fed Heist movie as well.
0: Yeah, it was Jodie Foster, the saffron type character, basically.
5: And you're never too sure all the way through it. Which way it's going, or what it is is going on, and then there's a, the double twist later on of, with um, James Garner. So, uh, and this is basically the same, but with uh, Anara performing that role. So, uh, yeah, d- yes, yeah, I really enjoy this one. Well. I mean, I'm a bit like Josh really. I, I, I love heist movies as well. In fact, that one I mentioned to you the other week, Alex, the Anderson Tapes is a heist movie. So, yeah,
1: okay.
5: Um, but yeah, I, I think it's really well done. But I think we mentioned in the last show that lots of these episodes are are genre based. Um, so you've had a heist you know we've had heist movies we've had uh, we've had uh, uh, we've had an episode on celebrity we've had episodes on on death we've had episodes you know we've had one on um, relationships so the, all the way through the series they kind of drew on that um, we had the one that was basically a cross between My Fair Lady and Sense and Sensibility you know and Shindig so there's Hmm. you know there's 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 nods and winks to all these sorts of uh, genre pieces all the way through this, um which is again sad why they didn't do more because it hang on was mal the fair lady in my fair lady <laughs> <laughs> i think the the premise is that um uh Kae is oh nice little in that yeah. situation yeah. okay,
0: but Mal is kind of trying to force himself into this segment section of society yeah. uh, with it's ill fitting indeed yeah um the, the thing I like uh, the most about Trash is, uh, again, I, any time I get to spend with Saffron uh, is, is, a, is a joy. You know, she's, she's a complex and despicable person. Um, but there's that moment where Mal works out that she actually, this is the one husband that she actually wants to keep or wants to keep her on a pedestal that she actually that there was more to that. And that that feels like that could have gone somewhere.
5: Yeah, I think the suggestion is that she she enjoyed his company. Is it is it Duran? Is that his name? I can't remember.
0: Duran I believe it's Duran
5: Duran. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Durrell. Uh, yeah, so um yeah I believe she you know I think the 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 premise is that she enjoyed his company, she enjoyed being with him uh you know so uh she could probably have even considered at one point giving up her life of crime although that probably would have lasted 10 minutes
2: one thing i really liked about the end of this is that you get to see inara having fun Mm. which doesn't happen very often
0: i like the fact that inara's costume in that point she's out in the middle of the desert and she's waiting beside a, uh, you know, a garbage container. But her costume is totally inappropriate. She's got this sort of delicate veil on, and she's, you know, she's all gussied up. And uh, it's, it's, it's just a perfect way of, of showing that even for the most scummy of jobs, she will make sure that she looks like herself. Because that, that isn't her paint. It's, it's it, that is actually who she is. She's um, when she takes off her makeup and when she sort of lets her hair go all straight and stuff. That's her started to flag a bit it's when she pulls herself back together and she's in her full power that she actually does wear all the pretties so she wouldn't just wear a boiler suit and stand around waiting
2: I wouldn't say that's her though that's still her armour
0: okay I interpreted that as her brown coat yeah she has an affinity for it and she feels more at home yeah, in
2: it yeah but that's that's not her inner self I suppose is what
0: okay Anybody else?
2: Also, I can kill you with my brain.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
6: (laughs) Just you put that gun away All I did was play the part You wanted me to play You thought that you were handsome And strong and good and bad I just agreed with you And you swallowed every word I said Oh honey, did you really think You were special, dear, unique And did you really think So needy and so weak I robbed you blind I left you crying I played you for a fool But you're the one who let me Admit it It was good for you too Let's get one thing clear. You're pathetic. Did you really have to spring for that new tattoo? Did you really think that I would choose to stay with you? I gave you what you wanted. You returned the favor too. We both made out quite nicely. Admit it. It was good for you too. Because I know that it was good for you to. Night, sweetie. Uh,
0: the next one is The Message. Now, the toughest job they had in The Message was actually making the character of Tracy sympathetic. The course of actions that he goes through, he's really unsympathetic, and by the end, you shouldn't care. When he gets shot, you're just like ah, good riddance to you. You, you know, you're, you're a freeloader. You're untrustworthy. You only seem to care about yourself. But for some reason, the way the actor played it and the way mm. it was framed, you feel a real sense of loss for him at the end and for everyone around him. Uh, at least I, I, did. I
5: was going to say. I have to say, I I found the opposite. I this is probably my least favorite episode, and um, for that very reason, really? yeah. I, he, I didn't, he didn't. He yeah. didn't. He didn't sell it to me at all. I thought he was very poor, poorly cast, and Poorly performed. Actually,
3: I felt no I, I, sympathy okay. at all at the end. I thought he was a good right at the very end. It, I thought he did a good job there, but no, I, I'm not a big. It's not my favourite episode. Bits of it are, are good, but uh, yeah, I, but... I don't. I don't like. I don't like the way he plays Tracy. I, I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really bothered. Particularly watching it again, I really couldn't care less because I know what happens at the end of it, so
4: There are there are lots of moments that are really memorable in this episode, but the character of Tracy is not one of them for me. Um, like when I think of this episode, I think of the moment where Zoe
6: says First rule of battle, little one. Don't ever let them know where you are.
3: Cause there are cool stuff.
0: did you notice by the way that the purple belly that turns sneaks up on them uh, that i believe joey slips his joey but i believe <laughs> Zoe slips his <laughs> come here joey oh, What's joey that? from Friends. mouth chalk see... down the well <laughs> this, lost in space all of a sudden <laughs> oh for goodness sake Okay, the purple belly that sneaks up on them is wearing, like, a Nazi helmet. None of the rest of them do. They're all wearing Starship Troopers helmets. But this one, he's got, like, a specifically Nazi helmet. A very, like, that's only ever been on Nazis type helmet. So that you don't feel bad at all for him when uh, Joey slits (laughs) his float.
3: Tracy is what Mal or Zoe could have been because he was broken by the war. He became He came out the other side of it completely ruined as a person and, and, and instead of, of setting off on his own path as, as Mal and Zoe did he, he basically bummed around and, and got himself into trouble and ended up dying because he couldn't cope after the war that's what Mal could have been had he not been had the strength of character to, to pick himself back up and, and carry on
2: I was just going to say I think the essence I think you've, that's a really good point I think the essence of that is um, doesn't Tracy actually say in almost as many words after the war finished i I just never found a place well mal made his own place
0: yeah she's still not a massively likable character but i do feel that something is lost when when tracy goes it's um the fact that mal had to do it himself it's a big thing
2: possibly part of it is that um from what zoe said about was was tracy actually with them at the battle of serenity valley
0: yeah, that was it when they show it in
2: the flashback. Zoe has said in the past that they came out of that with only a handful of soldiers left alive, which means Tracy was one of the soldiers that Mal managed to save. Yeah, and having to and reverse that at the end would probably be
3: quite a blow to him. When they fight, when, they, when he comes round and, and tells his story in the uh, in, in Serenity, uh, at that point basically Mal realises that he didn't get Tracy through the war. He got him physically through the war but he didn't actually save him at all because from that point onwards it was just further and further down until he got to the point where he was happy to have his innards scooped out to smuggle fake ones around. Mal never saved him. And I think yeah. that's, that's why he, he's regretting that the entire time and that's why he's uh, so, so uh, cut up about uh, shoot him in the end.
0: Body but not soul. The other major thing which any Firefly... Aficionado will be able to tell you is that since this was the last one uh, in the shooting, this was the where they were cancelled, and they um, when they arranged the funeral at the end, what they're basically laying to rest is Firefly the show, and so when you you know see the shots of their faces and it, it finally ends dwelling on on Mal just sort of looking into the camera, this oh, oh, like his soul is hurting at that point. It's upsetting for completely different reasons to just the straightforward Tracy situation. And it's got that wonderful piece of funeral music as well by Greg Edmondson.
3: When you can't run, you crawl. And when you can't crawl, you, when you can't do that,
6: you find someone to carry you.
0: On uh, the message, well, there's Jane's hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, fairly cunning.
3: Yeah, that's <laughs> cool.
4: <laughs> I, I'm struggling because I've watched it recently, but I'm, I'm struggling to think I would of. Hope so. <laughs> well, yeah. Um Yeah, well, I'm struggling. I'm just. I can't think of anything that really stuck out to me personally. Well, there's
5: the the two guys that pursue them. uh I'm the, the lead of the lead character now. Uh, yeah, they were quite interesting. Again, they could could have done more with him in the future, but obviously knowing the show was cancelled, there was no intention of doing that. Yeah. But you can imagine a kind of 18-style uh, constantly being pursued by that fella.
3: Womack, yeah.
5: Womack, yeah, there we go. What's his
3: name, yeah. And again, the book... Um reveals a bit of his uh, his past by knowing an awful lot about how he should be behaving if he was on the level and, and therefore knowing that he's operating off book and and, pardon, pardon, and uh, therefore knows how to negotiate around the problem um, just getting everybody out of it to, satisfactorily all they would have done if Tracy hadn't uh, gone off and uh, done something stupid uh, which again just reveals a bit more about book uh, beyond being a, a shepherd lots of hints that never really came to fruition yeah I think ultimately you, you
0: lose any sympathy for Tracy yeah actually this this did lose sympathy when he takes Kaylee hostage yeah. mm-hmm. all of the point up to the point that point he's a desperate man but when you think to yourself oh, actually this guy really would put Kaylee in harm's way she's the heart of the ship and then it becomes a case of hang on you're messing with my family Next episode is Heart of Gold and this is the one with all the whores. <laughs> um, yeah, this
5: one this one is just a straight up Western. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: they've taken a cottage, they've covered it in tinfoil.
5: Yeah. But I mean I I couldn't tell you which films, but I, I'm... It's I've a seen, bit magnificent Seven. I've seen, well, I've seen two, or, I've seen at least two westerns where they are protecting a whorehouse. I can't for the life of me remember what mm. they were called. One of them was probably a Randolph Scott movie, but uh, yeah.
0: There's elements of that in Unforgiven.
5: Yeah. It's in loads, loads of films. You can see yeah, several of the Clint Eastwood films. I mean, High Plains Drifter's got a little bit of that as well. Um, yeah, it's probably... A Outlaw Josie Wales got a bit of that in there as well there's, there's loads so how about the best little whorehouse in Texas the 1982 film well that's undoubtedly <laughs> closely related but yeah it's, it's a fairly established trope in, in in westerns
4: there's probably a rawhide like it as well it's a great episode for Mal um the little mm. small arc he has with Nandi um just like a miniature romantic relationship that ends tragically and uh, really really affects Mal there's a moment where he's facing her killer and you believe that he could pull that trigger if he wanted to I'm very surprised he didn't in fact it felt almost out of character for him not to yeah
0: like he was just the you know your boy scout hero who's like of course I'm not going to kill you and they had to kind of correct that by having having the, the mother I don't
2: think that was how that was being played actually I, I interpreted that as Mal desperately wanted to kill him but he was looking at it in terms of he's not mine to kill there are other people he's wronged more than me it's, it's they're just you know they're entitled to the justice more than I am
0: it's also kind of a circle of life thing where Pateline steps up and becomes the madame of that particular brothel by performing that action
2: I certainly saw it going that way after they left
0: Inara is confronted with Mal going out of his way to not declare anything to her, but instead to um, sleep with Nandi. There's a frightening amount of chemistry between Fillion and the actress playing Nandi there. Um, It's really kind of an electric scene between the two of them, and you get the weight of the fact that Mal hasn't had any kind of intimacy on that level for what might be years. He's unpracticed at
4: it. Well, he says, "Go easy on me." At some point, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I'll be gentle.
0: Uh, which is a, a really interesting reversal because I've been watching Bond for <laughs> weeks now.
5: Yes, <laughs> what, your shit. it's dragging me down. <laughs> yep.
1: I kind of wonder, and this is something that we will obviously never actually find out, but um, I kind of wonder how much of that was actually him connecting with her, and how much of it was him wanting that to be an aura. Because, I mean, doesn't she say something to the effect of, I'm not her, or or something like that? Oh, yeah. Um, But, and, and, you know, you can see, she's different enough that I don't think that it's a straight substitution, but I think that there's
2: got to be some of that there. Mm -hmm. I think there's an element of that, but he does make a conscious effort to push it away, Hence why he says to her, there's only you and me in this room.
4: One of the funnier aspects of the show is seeing how all the characters react uh, to the whores when they first enter this whorehouse. Mm. Um, Obviously, uh, Book is very, you know, panicky and a bit worried about what he's going to do. Simon is quite nervous as well. But, you know, Kaylee's kind of relaxed about it. She's not too bothered, um, and Jane just throws himself in headfirst. <laughs>
0: it's because they visit so few brothels. <laughs> he actually makes a holiday of it. Frankly, he's he's really having a whale of a time throughout this episode. Even down to the get, getting the uh, the the girl that he appears to have buddied up with to, to help him with the pre- preparations for war it's kind of like he's drawing her into his world well
5: he even goes as far as to explain all the guns and how which ones are his favourites yeah. and that's the one he needs when he needs to do his you know his killing <laughs> if you go back to
0: war stories Inara has a massive effect on, on the crew in that as well when she uh, brings back is uh, it a counsellor onto the ship, first coining the phrase, I'll be in my bunk, which gets repeated throughout that particular episode and then throughout the uh, series, which I think could be, could have become like a T-shirt-worthy catchphrase had it carried on. And that's also a, a wonderful scene between Inara and the, the, the counsellor because it's she's making this person feel better about themselves and it goes far beyond the physical.
4: Just while we're on that, um, an interesting piece of visual uh, background stuff uh, when Anara's saying goodbye to the counsellor and Jane's watching them you know, kiss each other and you know, go about their business um, in the background you can see Book lift his legs up in the air as Jane is making uh, quite disgusting faces uh, to Anara uh, uh, and the counsellor very symbolic <laughs> Um, we'll try and keep the show clean but I think everyone knows what I'm talking about <laughs>
0: <laughs> then when Inora has to actually confront Mal about the uh, the situation and uh, says that you know, she's happy and for him and blah blah and he puts a brave face on it and then they part their separate ways extremely awkwardly you know the first time I saw it I was like no, no there's, a, there's a lot more there she, that's just below the surface and then like the next scene but one she's crying her eyes out Thank you. Now, here's something that I've done a lot of digging into, and we mentioned it on the show last week, but I cut it out because I wanted to actually save it for this bit, and it's far more of a dramatic thing. And a lot of people might not know this, but it's actually become part of of Firefly lore now. Inara was, is, dying of something terminal. It's not really gone into, but she was looking at her time on Serenity as the end of her life and her, her autumn and, and clearly she wanted to spend it doing the thing that she felt she did the best. And Mal complicated that because she he made her want to live. And he made her want him to be part of what life she had left. And that could have been explored in so many fantastic episodes and it would have been utterly heart-wrenching. But just watching her throughout the series, knowing that... ...it informs on every one of the decisions she makes... ...and every one of her reactions... ...so when she's crying her eyes out here... ...that is a major moment for her... ...and when she ultimately makes the decision to leave... ...that's huge as well... ...she goes back to Sinon... ...the, uh, the house that she was trained in... ...kind of resigns herself to that... ...I suppose... ...but it just, she can't be on Serenity anymore... ...because even though she sees it as her home... ...and, and that's her family... Because Mal complicates it that much, she doesn't want to be around him feeling this anymore. And Mal interprets that as simply, well, I thought we had something, and I wasn't entirely sure what was going on, but clearly you just want to run away from it, so that's just fine. And he behaves like a teenage bloke.
2: I wonder if part of it is, is to do with the impact on him. Because if you look at the way Inara interacts with Most people, particularly her clients, it is very much about always thinking about how they're feeling and and how what she does either enhances how they're feeling and makes them feel better about themselves or she turns that around in Shindig when um, she's uh, talking to Atherton at the end. She uses um, information and and, um, the situation to specifically hurt him. And I, I wonder if a lot of it is that she she doesn't want to get involved with Mal because the end of that conversation is going to have to be. But this is limited. I think another part of it as well is something that, that we discussed, um, Alex, in terms of how often you get to see Inara without makeup and, and not in her particularly elaborate costumes, which is not very often, even though... Mm most of the time that we see her, she is not working. She's just relaxing with everyone else. Um, but I, I think it actually starts off that she's she wears a lot of makeup a lot of the time, and as the series progresses, you get to see her for longer periods and more often with less of it. And certainly in, in Heart of Gold, when they're at, um, at the, the brothel, she's wearing a lot less makeup than she would normally. And I think in those situations where you're seeing her in more toned-down outfits, that's when you get to see elements of who she re- really is. And part of the reason that, that the, the scene in War Stories where she's with the counsellor was so stand out for me is because she says to her, you know, the, the counsellor says to her, you know, there's no need to act, I, I don't need the show, I just want to relax. And what Inara says to her is basically... You're right and I can completely relax in your company too so let's agree no show but that's not the case it's she's still putting on the show that's still part of her act that the moments when you get inara with no show are very very rare and that moment where she's collapsed in front of the wardrobe crying is one of the few where you really do get to see her
0: when simon on serenity during out of gas says i don't want to die on this ship and she says i don't want to die at all that's a kind of telling moment but also she's having to work out at that point what to do with the shuttles what to do regarding mal must have had the the idea maybe i should just stay with him at this point you know, if I'm going to die anyway, should it just be with him? But then she says, no, nope, let's just be professional about this. He told me to get on the shuttle. She ultimately has to swallow her feelings again and again and again throughout the series. Which is why ultimately she just decides that she's, she's tired of that. And she can't do that anymore and has to leave. And it's never really fully, properly resolved at the end of Serenity. She's just there. And she decides to stay. But there's no major reconciliation between the two of them but again that doesn't really have to be because it's of what happens we'll talk about that next week right objects in space the last episode that we have on the DVDs Uh, and this is the one where River becomes whole and River becomes part of the crew while Simon became part of the crew in uh, Safe all the way back she's still a liability all the way through the next couple of episodes and the one where she I think it's Ariel where she slashes Jane across the chest with um, a a, a knife no one ever really points it out but she's slashing the Blue Sun logo these are the guys with the the blue hands these are the guys behind she's Trying to destroy the people who have been uh, attacking her brain, but she can't comprehend that. What does what it? She says in objects in space. She understands. She can't comprehend. Or
2: yeah, yeah. <coughs> she understands. She doesn't yeah. comprehend.
0: That's the one. Um, and this is the one where you see uh, things from River's point of view, and she's assaulted. On all sides, it's, it's like um, like when Jean Grey's telepathy goes haywire in, at various points in X-Men. If if someone can't control telepathy, it's a nightmare. It's a, a, an unending fever dream of audio and, and visual hallucination. And you're feeling far too much and seeing far too much, and there's no ability to filter it. And it's really... It's a great way to get you on with River. And it happens so late in the series that you have to then completely reconfigure your viewpoint on her from watching it from episode one again.
3: It's certainly tied is my favourite episode. I really like this one. Um, I, I like what they do with, with River, and it I, I just all comes together really well. I, bittersweet as it's the last episode, but it, it's just very, very well done indeed.
4: The character of the bounty hunter is great, because... Early. For me, it's almost like he's from a different world, but in a mm. in a good way. It's like he's intersecting with the uh, you know this these two co- groups of people. Like there's the like the bounty hunter world, and then there's the you know pirate crew. They're intersecting, and it's this clash of cultures almost. And this guy is clearly psychotic and to be Mm. fair most people who are drawn to professional killing or you know capturing people for rewards and stuff like that are tend max cherry yeah yeah. tend to be people who are basically justifying their own psycho uh, psychosis um Mm. trying to legitimize it um he's kinda of similar to River in some ways in that he doesn't quite understand people when they're talking to him. He he will often mishear people or misinterpret what people are saying. Are you a lion? Am I
6: a lion? What? I don't think of myself as a lion. You might as well though have a mighty roar. I said alliance. Oh, I thought No I was That's weird. And
0: he makes conversations exceptionally awkward as well.
4: And his um, willingness to um, objectify objectify Kaylee, turn her into this thing for him to, you know, pleasure himself with, uh, just to threaten her, just to get her in a position where she breaks and try... uh, you know gets information off of her is terrifying uh, especially because of kaylee's reaction where she completely breaks yeah. down
2: can i
0: dual state does possibly some of her best acting in this episode to that
2: can i just Shall jump in there because this was one of the scenes that i wanted to bring up actually um
6: yeah
2: it, i i often find it quite dodgy when rape is brought into a a, a tv show or something like that oh it's Stated, whether stated openly or made clear that, that something of that nature is going on. And there are often occasions where it's handled and implied as uh, a sexual scenario. The way he uses the term is is completely the opposite of that. There is nothing sexual involved in this. And it's interesting that you, that you said about... Uh, Interpreting it, Josh, as him uh, using her or potentially using her as a thing to pleasure himself. I don't think there's anything of that in it at all. He's using that as a threat of violence. He's using it in the same way that he says to Simon, Have you ever been shot? It's just Mm. that he knows that's the violent thing that will scare her the most. And I. I, It's. (laughs) Although I'm not going to say I would ever want to see threat of rape used in a TV show, if it's going to be used, that's the context that to me, gives it the most impact and the least amount of um, exploitation and sensationalism.
4: Rape works when it's shown as it is, a disgusting act that you wouldn't wish upon anyone. When it's used in a kind of Semi kind of exploitative way, like some movies from the eighties did and stuff like in the nineties. Yeah, um, <laughs> it can be quite disrespectful. Uh, you know, it doesn't give weight to something that can massively affect somebody and destroy their life. Whereas here, it is given its proper weight.
5: He's the ultimate interrogator, if you like, because he knows which buttons to push. That's that's really what. What he's doing here, like you know, when he says to Simon about John, uh, starts to be shocked because he knows that that's the thing that is probably uh, he's most concerned about at that point. Um, whereas when it comes to people like Mao and Book, he just knocks them out, doesn't he? He doesn't even bother wasting his time trying to intimidate them because he knows he's not going to get anything out of them. But these yeah. these are people he perceives as being weak that he can manipulate.
2: It did occur to me actually that the. The scene where he takes Book out, and you mentioned this, Alex, that that Book is potentially the only one who's likely to be a threat to him. He takes him down so quickly that it it gets rid of that possible complication. But I think that that was calculated on his part. I think he recognized him, not necessarily him as a person, but him as his capabilities. And that's that's why he, he did that.
3: Well with Mal and Book um, well certainly with Mal uh, being effectively a soldier he will constantly pose a risk Uh, he knows that he will constantly be looking for opportunities to take him down whereas with Simon and Kaylee, he knows that he can just psychologically threaten them until they don't do that Mm. and therefore he can control them a lot more easily Mal he knows that he will constantly have to be watching him so he can't spend his time looking for River and it's the same with Book obviously he recognises something in him interestingly he just locks in um,
0: Wash and Zoe is that right? so he doesn't have to deal with the soldier who really could take him
3: out the less people wandering around the ship the easier it is for him because then he's only got he's just got Simon to worry about at this point
0: I love the bit where Jane wakes up seems to twig that something's going on <laughs> yanks off the cover for his guns and then goes back to sleep with his cover back on it's like oh okay now sorry wasn't any me cash in it for you sorry sorry to bother you
5: <laughs> he doesn't to throw uh, aura back into a shuttle as well as the other yeah because yeah, he, he knows that these people he he's going to have difficulty manipulating whereas he knows that Simon and Kaylee are the, the weak ones I don't know whether he's done his homework before he gets there I'm assuming probably he has
2: I think part of it is he's just very good at assessing people, but his, yeah. his reaction to um, Inara, he, he starts off, I suppose you always almost assume he's going to take the same tack with her as he does with Kaylee. So it wouldn't work. But yeah. it wouldn't work, and then she starts trying to psychoanalyze him, at which point that's when he lashes out, which is almost surprising because until that point everything he's done has been very controlled. So I Mm. think he was kind of not necessarily thrown by it, but made angry by the fact that she was trying to do that.
1: Which is actually kind of surprising, I think, because even if he hasn't specifically researched them, that specific crew, surely he's going to know what a companion is and what kind of training they have. And she does kind of stand out as one of those. like She's going to be immediately identifiable as a companion.
0: The other part of the River's hallucinations at the beginning, the part where she sees the cargo bay as being strewn with wood and leaves and uh, picks up a branch, and then that immediately morphs into uh, her holding a Desert Eagle pistol and everyone else around her freaking out and panicking, it kind of explains what every single scenario that you've seen throughout the entire series and every bit where you're like well why did she do that for suddenly you realise that in each case she's seeing it in a completely different way it's a really quite a moment and it allows the point where River actually becomes extremely canny by the end the wool that she pulls over Early's eyes The the pretense that she calculates you're like oh I, I forgot again she is of course an absolute genius and thus she's able to access a certain amount of cunning which she hasn't been doing so far one thing that's a little bit annoying actually is at the very end everyone's sort of okay River seems to have found her place and become part of the crew and is accepted And then the last possible frame is saved for early, spinning uh, around in space, and he's like, well, here I am. And you're like, ah, that fantastic, funny character early. I'm sure he'll be back. And it's like, well, no, he's not fantastic and funny. He threatened Kaylee with rape. We know he's not important in the long run. This is the final frame of the TV show?
4: Well, they didn't know. They didn't know that was going to be the final frame. I can't hold that against them.
0: I kind of wish they'd actually kept... um, out of gas for the very last episode. That would have actually been a really great mm. final episode because you wouldn't know what was going to happen mm. with it. And it would have been great, you know, great at the very, very end, you go back to the beginning. And the, fi- the finale of that one where Mal wakes up and the entire crew's okay, I suppose, um, of course, no, you've got to have Inara taken out of the uh, picture. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just
3: annoyed that early's the last shot we get.
5: There's probably an intentional metaphor in there somewhere that's just completely lost on us all.
3: Well, at, at the end, he's merely an object in space, I suppose, but uh, yeah. it's a bit. Uh, nice. It's a bit of an odd an odd way to finish. I mean, I, I, I can't say I'm particularly annoyed by it, but. Uh... It's not like.
0: It doesn't like get. <laughs> oh, God, curses! But, you know, it's there are other episodes where it's just sort of ended on a little bit nicer. But oh, if you take it that this isn't the ending of Firefly and that the ending of Serenity is the ending of Firefly well, no. as we know it right now. It has
5: the best ending possible, then
0: yeah I suppose yeah sort of breaking it off and leaving us yep. wanting more without really resolving anything <laughs> fan reaction and then we'll get out of here shall we yep Firefly generated a loyal fan base during its three-month original broadcast run on Fox in late 2002. The initial gathering point where they met was the internet message board started by Fox for viewer commentary on Firefly. The site, now affectionately known as the original board, or OB, is still in active use a decade later. The original fans' self-styled browncoats used the OB to organize and try to save the series from being cancelled by Fox only three months after its debut. They did not succeed. Their efforts included raising money for an ad in Variety magazine and a postcard writing campaign to UPN. Uh, While unsuccessful in finding a network that would continue the show, their support led to the release of the series on DVD in December 2003. So if they hadn't done that, We might not have got it on DVD, and a lot less people might love this show. A subsequent fan campaign then raised over $14,000 in donations to have a purchased Firefly DVD set placed aboard 250 US naval ships by April 2004 for recreational viewing by their crews. That's a really great idea. Give Firefly to the troops. Earlier this year, the Institution Theatre in Austin, Texas, was home to a musical based on the episode Our Mrs. Reynolds. Songs including the bittersweet Inara and Mal duet, I Won't Let You In, Saffron's seductive number, Let Me Have My Wedding Night, and Jane's comical Toby Keith-inspired solo, Guns and Women. However, we can't see or hear what it was like or play you any, because Fox, in their never-ending crusade to jealously guard the Firefly license, stepped in and forced a shutdown on any YouTube videos. Our hearts go out to those Fox executives. We can only hope that you have a truly excellent zombie plan. (laughs) The Ballad of... (laughs) Seriously, I would love to hear or see what that was like. But we why can't. are they jealously guarding something that About... they clearly think is worthless? It makes no sense at all. I... It's interesting because um, they had to call Serenity Serenity because Fox still owns the rights to the TV show Firefly, um, and Universal owns the rights to Serenity. Uh, there's a um, website for Serenity and Battlestar Galactica merch. And uh, there's some Star Trek in there and some Doctor Who as well called Quantum Mechanics. Uh, you guys may have seen them. They make some fantastic materials. Uh, they were behind the... Uh, uh, did you see the Star Trek hand phaser that I had uh, on my uh, chest of drawers when you guys were here? Yes. Nice, yes. wasn't it? <laughs> that was some Quantum Mechanics. I also never showed you this, but I have a mail pistol as well. <laughs> Hang on. I'll link it. Mal.
1: Whoa!
3: I do not want to see your Mal pistol. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's gold.
1: Plated.
3: Okay.
0: (laughs) Sure gold. Okay. They do all kinds of T-shirts and statues, and just, just wonderful stuff. I've emailed them a couple of times to, to check on various things. There was the, the UK packing on the original Battlestar Galactica dog tags was astronomical, and I asked them, you know, could, could I just get, get an airmail? And they said, yeah, sure, and they readjusted the prices just for me. Fantastic. Fantastic customer service. So quantum mechanics for all your sci-fi prop replica, and I got my Jane Cobb T-shirt from there as well. The yellow one from Serenity. Q-
5: QMXonline.com.
0: Yeah, QMX. Honestly, cannot recommend these guys enough.
2: There's a role-playing game as well, um, based on the Verse, and because mm-hmm. Fox won't let them have the, the rights to the Firefly content...
0: And Universal no, no, no. won't let them no, have, no, have the rights to Universal Seren- have given oh, them the rights
2: to the Serenity stuff, but it, that means that everything right. in the game that they reference... It has to be... It's got to be from Serenity, they, but not from Well, if from the they direct reference or if they want to put a screenshot in or something like that, it has to be from Serenity. There's quite... Apparently, they, they get around this, but there's quite a few things which were in Firefly, which they kind of... They thinly veil what they're talking about and make it clear that if you know the series, it's in the Firefly bit, but they just can't say it directly.
0: So it would appear that Fox don't ever want to bring Firefly back, but they also don't seem to ever want anyone else to bring Firefly back as well.
2: That's kind of like divorcing your husband and then killing him. So no one else can ever have him.
0: Didn't Activision do that with uh, Tim Schafer?
2: What, they divorced him and then killed
4: him? Yeah, we're some brutal, legend. Um, canceled You're a good brutal legend. They cancelled brutal legend, and he... but as soon as somebody picked them up, they like sued EA or whatever. <laughs> yeah. To which point,
0: Tim said if you liked it, then you should have put a ring on it. Oh, now Beyonce's going to sue me.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, Activision and Fox... Wonderful, wonderful people, honestly. How do you sleep at night on a pile of mashed babies? The Ballad of Serenity was used by NASA as the wake-up song for astronaut Robert L. Banken and the other crew members of the STS-130 on February 12, 2010. So, you know, wake up, folks, and then they played that wonderful song that everybody loves from <laughs> Leah. And actually, at least one of the per- mics come forward and said, yep, hate that, hate those lyrics. Again, it's just the lyrics, it's not the actual tune. So, uh, yeah, you're not alone, well, And I'm, I'm actually glad I put it out there because um, I, I hate it when you put out podcasts where everybody totally agrees on everything. NASA brown coat astronaut Stephen Swanson took the Firefly and Serenity DVDs with him on Space Shuttle Atlantis STS-117 mission in June 2007. The DVDs were added to the media collection on the Intergalactic Space Station as entertainment for the station's crews. Watching out of gas must get quite... <laughs> worrying for them like, let's, let's just hope that that doesn't happen to us um, on March 12, 2009 the series was the winner of the first annual Hulu awards in the category shows we'd bring back on the NBC comedy community the characters of Troy and Arbed are fans of the show they have an agreement that if one of them dies the other will stage it to look like a suicide caused by the cancellation of Firefly in the hopes that it will bring the show back it's also been referenced uh, uh, repeatedly in Big Bang Theory in the 2003 Battlestar Galactica miniseries and pilot so this will be this is no spoilers here uh, Leah. this will be the first thing you watch so keep an eye out for this a ship resembling Serenity appears in the background of a scene where Laura Roslin is diagnosed with breast cancer Serenity is one of several spaceships inserted as cameos into digital effects scenes by Zorik Studios the company responsible for digital effects in both Firefly and Battlestar Galactica and actually when you see BSG, that will correlate in your mind. You'll be like, actually, yeah, this could feasibly be the same verse. In July 2006, a fan-made documentary was released titled Done the Impossible and is commercially available. The documentary relates the story of the fans and how the show has affected them and features interviews with Whedon and various cast members. Part of the DVD proceeds are donated to Equality Now. I'm going to forward you guys the link to this because it's on YouTube. If you can watch it as well as Serenity in the next week then we could maybe talk about that. A fan made, not for profit, unofficial sequel to Serenity titled Brown Coat's Redemption premiered at Dragon Con 2010 on September 4th. According to the film's website, Whedon gave his blessing to the project. The film was sold on DVD and Blu ray at the film's website, with all proceedings being distributed among five charities. The film was also screened at various sci-fi conventions across the United States, with admissions receipts similarly being donated. All sales ended on September 1st, 2011, one year after its premiere, with total revenues exceeding $115,000, so just less than Serenity. (laughs) Community discussion continues regarding screenings in conjunction with the Can't Stop the Serenity project. That is also available on YouTube. So the two YouTube videos you folks should check out are Done the Impossible and... Browncoats Redemption. Uh, haven't seen them yet, can't really endorse them until next week, but I'm going to be watching them myself. And in an interview on February 17th, 2011 with Entertainment Weekly, Nathan Fillion joked that if I get $300 million from the California Lottery, the first thing I would do is buy the rights to Firefly. Make it on my own and distribute it on the internet. This quickly gave rise to a fan-based initiative to raising the funds to purchase the rights. On March 7th, 2011, the organisers announced the closure of the project due to lack of endorsement from the creators. With $1 million, do that like Dr. Evil, pledged at the time, it was shut down. Those fans are now working on creating their own fan-funded science fiction production company. Stuff like this makes me very happy. the passion that fans have that they throw into stuff like this
4: i don't know if anyone watched the comic con reunion uh, panel um, I did. that was yep, really upsetting because it like Joss was near tears towards the end of that oh he yeah. hit tears, by the and way. and it was just you know the those fans were with him even now ten, like, fa- ten years later they're still heaping praise on this series. It must be feel so good for him. All the stuff he had to go through, all the rough, you know, times he had to go through to get that show on air, to get Serenity made. Seeing all those fans screaming his name, screaming Firefly, just it must be the biggest thank you anyone could ever receive.
0: I mean we could speculate on how it could return. All I'll say is that I hope it does in some form. That with this much love and this much passion, even if it is only on a small scale, like a percentage of a percentage of the amount of people uh, in the world relative to things like the Dark Knight who flock in their bajillions to go see it. It's all tied up in rights and stuff like this. But with people loving things like this for years and years and years, things change. Rights get moved around and people who are making terrible decisions die and are succeeded by other people. (laughs) Ultimately, what's most likely is uh, that they made snap decisions that were uh, regretted fairly soon after. I overreacted. But ultimately, decisions have been made, they couldn't go back on them. And now, for some reason, they're sticking to their guns so painfully diligently that they're actually hurting the license. (laughs) I don't know, it's difficult not to see a certain amount of vindictiveness in
4: that. But anyway... I will say this. Well, I would rather Firefly be in the state that it is now than the state Star Wars is now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Star Wars is thriving in uh, in terms of, you know, merchandising and but chucking out the 3D versions of the films and Clone Wars and all these creepy well, audiences.
4: They're milking a dead yeah. cow at this point. It's just dust coming out of the udders at this point. <laughs>
3: These are these these made up uh, prequel stuff you're talking about that doesn't exist, isn't it? Of course, th- yeah. yeah. Three films ta- and oh, a bunch we, of books. That's got, all there is.
0: We're in a divergent <laughs> timeline now. Basically, we we have adjusted our timeline circa 1992. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I listed my four favourite, m- the most special starships to me. Serenity's number one, and feels like home. Fairly close second is actually Galactica, and that will mean a lot more to uh, folks once you start watching BSG. I'm going to tell you right now, uh, if you've uh, listened this far, you're a big fan of Firefly, for some reason you haven't watched BSG yet or haven't committed to it, start watching now, because we're doing podcasts on it very soon. It is of equivalent, and to to many extents, um, it it actually reached the potential that everyone's been talking about with with Firefly, and everyone was hoping for Firefly. I'd
6: love
0: to. A lot of people don't like... You must wait. <laughs> just a few more weeks, seriously. But yeah, it'll be worth the wait when you finally get there. I promise. Third is actually the Normandy, because that feels like my ship. When I saw it turn up in uh, Mass Effect Three, I just muttered to myself, "My ship," because obviously with Shepard, there's far more of uh, a sense of identification um, because you're actually making her decisions but there's a slight distance that she keeps from her crew which obviously the folks in Serenity get a lot closer and then finally the Millennium Falcon that's my top four
3: (laughs) not in the same order but that's my top four different order right
0: Um, from what I know of you Falcon Uh number one Uh really Serenity Normandy Galactica
3: pretty much Normandy Serenity kind of tied for the middle middle spot there but uh, (laughs) yeah pretty much
0: Depends what you're playing <laughs> yeah, and watching. it
3: depends what I'm fanboying over at the time,
0: yeah. Oh, and I'd also actually, um, especially with a second film coming out, I'm going to add the Enterprise as my fifth, specifically the, uh, the, the young Enterprise. Anybody else want to add a few starships to this list?
5: Mm.
6: Uh... Starbug. <laughs>
5: if
0: you think about it, there actually aren't that many that we really actually care about and love and that are actually pretty centric to the story.
5: I don't know. Well, I think all the Star Treks had iconic starships. Yeah. Know, and Voyager and the Defiant and the Delta Flyer and stuff.
0: Sorry, when I say the uh, the Enterprise, I was pretty much just sort of lumping all the other Star Trek ones in that. I was, of course, kind of short-sighted. They're completely different crews and completely
5: different scenarios. Of course, there's plenty of Enterprise. Yeah, there's plenty of yeah, Enterprises. Pretty, uh, various different ships. Um, you've got no Fastgate fans here, so that's probably...
3: Oh yeah, my, oh
0: The course, Eben,
5: yeah. the Eben Hawk. Mm? Well oh yeah, from Kotol. Uh, yeah.
3: That was
0: a pretty tight crew. I Enjoyed my times on that, and I felt like that was the, our, our ship as well. Not my ship. Nobody's. You see, ship.
5: in Star Wars, I would choose Slave One, but
0: <laughs> oh, because it's such a family <laughs> atmosphere. It's both
5: and Frozen hand yeah. Solo. just, <laughs> what, it's, just a really, it's, a, it's a really well-designed ship, though.
4: What's the spaceship called in Cowboy Bebop?
0: The the
4: Bebop. Oh, okay. I'm being an idiot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's a good one. Well, Lee has actually read this book. In in the first incarnation of my book, I wrote a ship that I was hoping would become as beloved as one of these. I'm going to bring that one back. Tell me you read that one. Of course I read
1: it.
0: You can't remember the name, can you? (laughs) I'm sorry, storm. it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It was. I was an imbecile when I wrote it. It's basically in crayon.
3: <laughs> Is that the same one that I read?
0: I can't remember. Was it complete when I sent it to you? Was it just a bit... No, it was
3: a fairly bit. hefty bit of... Uh, well, fact, I've got it down here. It's just still knocking around in my, in my living room somewhere.
5: I'm trying to um, think what the, the, the name of the ship... Uh, what was the what name was of the something? ship in Ulysses 31? That was a core cool ship.
3: The, the Argo... Argo.
5: That would be in my top five. The one I'm
3: talking about is the bright ones, the rising star. Yep, uh,
5: that's
0: the one Leo's read. Okay, this all rounds up to the idea that the ship that brings a family around in it, or at least the ship that you can call home, has had a lasting impression on me throughout my life and is very important to me. And Serenity is way, way up there. It's number one. So yeah, we will conclude this one next week. So we're going to close out there. Before we go, Leah, Sharon, and Matt, can you guys give me a preview of what you'll be talking about on the next Dorkcast?
1: Well, I think it should be actually out by the time this goes up, but um, we are going to be doing a sort of Halloween-themed episode uh, to see mm-hmm. how a theme episode is going to work out for us. So um, check it out and uh, see if, uh, if you think that... Um, Theme episodes are a good thing, and if it works out, then we'll do more of them. If it doesn't, then we'll go back.
0: I could think of no better way to spend Halloween Spooky right now. Thing. <laughs> I mean, after trick or treating with Lyra, but yeah, that'd be great. Matt, name one song that's going to be on the next Dork Tunes, and when might that be out?
3: Um, we've got uh, a piece by. Uh a piece from Journey which is done in the musical assets from uh, Flow by Austin Wintry which is very very good indeed and it will be out possibly before this one is actually it should be up by the time this goes out I'm editing it tomorrow
1: you said a piece from Journey and I immediately went to Yeah. Don't stop believing.
6: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Either way, <one's> i fine, frankly. <laughs> the video game journey is it's a well, video yes, game I know that, podcast.
1: The, 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 I knew that. Okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I. It was on rock <laughs> oh, Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Not that particular piece from Journey. Gary,
0: uh, what have you got coming up on Game Burst that you've actually been a part of? Ah, uh,
5: <laughs> I haven't been a part of Game Burst You're for a couple of weeks because I've been there. doing some other podcasts to do with Firefly. I think. What, what do you actually have planned? Uh, it was this just the news. You were just double... the news the same time the show was recorded. <laughs> um, the, the next thing to look out uh. for when this show airs will be the quiz with uh, James Batchelor in the hot seat
0: actually being No,
5: quizzed? no, as in Quizmaster. Is that the hot well seat we call it the P pe- Why would they make the Quizmaster? Well we call seat it the hot? penis chair, but you didn't want me to with two crews. Well we are there now. So
0: okay. Okay, so the quiz who's um being quizzed? Bots versus ninjas. Okay. And Josh, what's one thing in the works that has you excited at Kane and Roots?
4: Um we've got uh, at the moment we're going through all the Half-Life games much the same way we did with the Metal Gear Solid games um, I'm going to be on the Half-Life 2 and Half-Life 2 Episode 1 and 2 episodes so uh, look out for those they'll be really interesting it'll just be me and Leon telling anyone who hates those games they're wrong and they're stupid for no, not. like 4 hours no 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 <laughs> <laughs>
0: Do you know Disney are doing a Half-Life film? That would be amazing. <laughs> it stars... <laughs> the new Star Galactic oh. cast. And it has all the sensibilities <laughs> of a bloody Disney film. And Stacey Sutton. Yeah, role. there you go. Tr-
5: trifecta there. <laughs>
0: Both Josh and Matt are on upcoming episodes of The Sound of Gonzo. Josh, yours will be the traditional pick-and-mix of movie themes with me. And Matt, we're going to be doing a special Grand Theft Auto Vice City Radio Gonzo episode. Those will be out very soon. Stick around for more outtakes at the end. I know they're coming. I've been party to them. (laughs) Uh, The final piece of music we're using here is Vera Flew the Coop by Marianne Cole from her album Got to Fly, available from iTunes, Bandcamp, and CD Baby. Based, it would appear, on a particularly hard-nosed woman who may or may not have once met and impressed one Jane Cobb with her sheer toughness, enough indeed to name his very favourite gun after. We'll be back next week with the final flight of Serenity with Lord of the Rings after that. And Battlestar Galactica after that. And actually, I think in between, Deadwood. Before Serenity, we have a special Halloween episode of Digital Gonzo, where we will be reviewing the criminally underwatched Goonies-style animated movie, Monster House, which I advise you all to track down and watch on Halloween night. Also, jump on the forums to vote in our poll for your favourite ten games of this generation, the results of which will be the focus of a future episode of Gonzo, which you, the audience, are all invited onto with little audio vignettes about these games. This will be formatted much like the Digital Cowboys 50 Greatest Video Game Characters shows, which are fantastic and available on this very podcast feed back around January 2012. So we'll see you real soon, and stay shiny.
6: Vera flew the coop when she was only off sixteen She hopped the first and fastest train with some lousy libertine It spun a pretty story, and it stole away her youth And everyone was shocked, cause Vera always told the truth Oh, her slip surprised them all, cause Vera always told the truth Dumped that lion loud in the dust behind the train. He'd angled for a child but caught a heartless hurricane. He wasn't worth a bullet, she just pushed him off the side and she thanked him for her freedom. She was eternally polite. Vera thanked him for his trouble She was nothing but polite Sing lie, 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 lie. she talked. She never flinched, she never smiled, and her gun was always cocked. By 21, she terrorized the whole of the frontier, and they feared her faithful justice. They knew Vera was sincere, or they ran from Vera's posse, cause she was perfectly sincere. Life, she never met a boy she didn't think deserved the knife. Not a one of them was worthy in her steady, steely eyes, cause they all fronted for their flaws. And Vera always sneered at lies, yes, she found all men were liars, and Vera couldn't live with lies. His dying day, her hard heart met desire. The man who shot her through was the only man she could admire. That mortal wound awoke in her, a fire no bone could soothe. And she said, I think I love you. And Vera always told the truth. Oh, Oh, as she died, she said, I love you. Just the light.
3: Digital Gonzo, episode
0: one. Hold on, hold
5: on, stop, stop. What
3: are you going with it? i got
0: my headset plugged in, yeah, you'll be in here. Okay, right, go. Are you in, Matt? Is it in yet? (laughs) Oh, God. Somebody I once knew said that their one sexual experience that had happened to them ran roughly thus.
4: Is it in yet?
0: I've finished. (laughs) Is that disastrous? I suppose it's just disappointing.
2: Yes, it was.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Was not me. I swear to God. See, see why I didn't actually. Yes, I know. There you go. Are you recording this? No. Okay. Uh, Yeah. No. Yes. Actually, I was. (laughs) It would appear. Okay, Matt. Yep.
3: Is it in yet? I'm finished.
0: (laughs) Okay. This week we're going to focus on the characters. Boss that is last week's notes. <laughs> Matt, name one song that's going to be in the next Dork Tunes that and do Matt, name one song that's going to be on the next Dork tunes and when that Blah blah blah, blah. <laughs> Josh, I've inherited your mouth.
3: Okay. It's, it's, dangerous. Dangerous.
0: it's mine now, boy. Oh god. Y'all are gonna do some praying for me. Matt, name one song that (laughs) that fish was just asking for it.